Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Realm and Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. A podcast that is so Warhammer we come in plastic or resin, but not fine cast though. <laughs> I'm your host Matt, and joining me as always, the Gotrek to my Felix, oh. it's Cameron. How you doing mate? I'm impressed you think I'm that strong or skilled with an axe when I'm neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I almost was going to say the you know Malkador to my emperor, and I thought well, that's a bit <laughs> a bit of a bragging thing. I'm, I'm comparing myself to the emperor. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so I thought oh, I'll do Gotrek and Felix instead. <laughs> but you heard me say episode thirty. We've hit another milestone. We're here. Mm. We're still going. Somehow, Somehow. Um, <laughs> and as, as promised, um, we brought in a special guest, um, a guy who clearly worships Sinesh because he must have a pain pleasure thing because he's decided to come back on again for a second time. Mm. So he obviously <laughs> there's something going on there. Welcome again to the show, Stephen Rhodes. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on again. It's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> glad to have you back sir very good it's uh i think yeah you were guest i think our second guest that we ever did you often yeah. you know yeah it was because we had dan the first time to speak 40k with us and then obviously yourself joined us to speak about wrath and glory um mm. actually yeah. i was going to ask you actually quickly um how's how did you feel about wrath and glory you know and obviously we spoke prior to um it sort of you know being released live so how how did you sort of feel it went in the end I thought it went uh, really well. It was received really well, and people really enjoyed the system. Uh, I had a lot of mm. people reach out to me after launch and comment about how fun it was and how it really captured the the essence of what made um, 40k as a setting, like what made it special. Uh, and people said it was very quick to get into and 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 very easy to learn. And it was, you know, it it did a lot of it's a lot of heavy lifting, so it got out of the way of itself, so players and DMs could just get straight into uh, playing the games and, and like telling mm. stories and stuff. And that's that's what's really, and that's just a testament to to the sort of design that, that Ross Watson, the the creative lead on it, uh, sort of his vision. It's sort of a testament to his his experience and skill designing uh, RPGs for 40k. So um, yeah, it was it was really good. It was really positive. I was I was, I was really pleased with. Uh, with, with the reception overall yeah yeah well we certainly enjoyed it didn't we cameron when we did yeah. it for our year yeah. anniversary mm. i listened to that it was, fun. it was very very good yeah i gotta say i have a slight balance complaint which was i was running people through escape to rock and i was just running the uh the primaris marine as like a side npc in case i got into trouble and an orc knob crit him and immediately put him down with one hit and i feel that's unfair somehow <laughs> I mean, Did something like nine big. mortal wounds. <laughs> nine mortal wounds with the crit. I'm like, oh, okay, there goes the Primaris Marine. He's gone forever. <laughs> well, the Grim it's, Dark. It's great. The Grim Dark Forty First Millennium is a dangerous place. Apparently, exactly. Can't deny that. <laughs> Even for Primaris Marines. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear and actually sorry excuse my manners can you tell the lovely listeners if they've not listened to your previous episode where you joined us um who are you and what do you do Stephen? <laughs> uh yeah no worries uh my name is Stephen rhodes i'm a writer for video games rpgs uh, a bunch of other things um ma- mainly video games though um i currently work 
for Ubisoft and live in Quebec City in Canada. Mm. Mm. Very fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you very much again for joining us. Um, And what we're going to do for this episode, um, obviously with Stephen joining us, is we're going to treat it like a normal show. So it's not going to be like last time where we're sort of treating it like an interview sort of situation. We're just going to be shooting the breeze, as I think that's what they say. You know, we're going to be kicking back. We're going to be, you know, we're not going to be talking about Pokemon Go. We're going to be talking about Warhammer or whatever the other cool kids talk about. We're just going to keep it nice and easy. So, <laughs> so the, um, so yeah, so what is the plan for episode 30? So, uh, what we're going to do is because again, because there's three of us, we'll, uh, probably knock out the hobby section initially because, we, I don't think we much of us, we've got much to say really on, on that. Um, and also it just keeps the, the length of the show down. So we won't really have a hobby section. Uh, but we'll go straight into the news as such. Uh, you know, obviously cover what's been going on. Uh, for the main law topic, we are going to discuss the 40k novel Plague War. Very exciting. The sequel to Dark Imperium. And, and then at the end, we're going to have a discussion topic in the AOS universe where we're going to talk about, you know, potential future AOS gods that may, start appearing in the mortal realms and that'll be it so exciting times ahead uh so yeah if you enjoyed this show and anything else we do uh you can go on itunes give us a five-star review you know say hey it's my birthday i'm feeling in a good mood let's give these guys a five-star review uh it's all greatly appreciated uh if you want to support the show you can support it on uh coffee.com uh, link will be down in the description uh social media you can, our main thing is twitter.com at, at realm and ruin uh we've got facebook.com slash realm ruin as well uh if you want to contact us via like email or such uh we've got a contact page on our website at realm and ruin com um i've also got a code to give away um oh. and because i'm not as professional as i thought i was i've left it in another room so i'll have to kick <laughs> you out later in the show <laughs> so uh look out for that that'll keep mm. people people listening they're like oh what's oh, this yeah. code he's on about <laughs> yeah it's another room i'll wait wait till later um but i also um, if another thing I wanted to sort of give away as such is I have a copy of the Horace Heresy book, The Unremembered Empire, uh, which I, I don't know why I've got it in my collection. I've got the, it's the big paperback of it. So it's paperback, but it's the sort of, you know, on it sort of a, between a five and four size. It's like an 8.4, mm. <laughs> a 4.5 <laughs> size. Um, if anyone wants it, uh, pref- preferably in the UK because of postage, I'm more than willing to post it to you free of charge anyone that wants it okay so on you know if you contact us via twitter or you know our contact page anyone wants it because otherwise i'm just going to you know give it away somewhere um i don't need it so they keep, um, there's someone out there going i need to finish my collection of horace heresy <laughs> novels i need the unremembered empire for some In reason a, 4. so 4.5 <laughs> yes 4.5 so if anyone wants it hit us up and i will send it to you um and the last thing to plug is our discord uh if you would like to come and join it like steven now has come join us chat with all the cool people on there that's what you know hip hip people do (laughs) these days uh to talk about warhammer um and if like steven you join us you can come on there you can ask us a question that we will now discuss on the show and i have a question so be prepared guys this is a bit Yes, exactly. That's it. That's it. That's what I want to hear, Stephen. Um, he wasn't paid to say that. Um, so, so the question that we're going to put on here 
and answer today. It's like I said, it is a big one, guys. So be prepared. This is from uh, one of our pillars of the community, Sigmund Frude. He asks, "Would you rather fight one Rebute Gilliman size Skaven or a hundred Skaven side Rebute Gillimans?" <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know, I know. I mean, I, know. I feel like I feel like both situations result in a horrible death because even if <laughs> even if a Primarch is only two foot tall, well, he's still a Primarch, and now there's yeah. a hundred of them. I feel like he's going to win that fight, and I assume the hundred tiny Primarchs come come with a hundred tiny Emperor's swords and a hundred tiny suits of <laughs> like mastercrafted power armor. The anathema. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like I feel like neither of those scenarios is a win for a normal person. Uh, see, see, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I think a hundred Skaven-sized Gillimans are an undefeatable force. They are because they, they're all the same level of tactical genius, and they're all on the same page. Because <laughs> Gilliman's the only person he can trust to get things done, and now he's got ninety-nine others running running circles around you. Oh my god! But, yeah, he'd fix the Imperium in like a day. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you would, wouldn't he? Present to us your master, the Imperial Regent number seventy-three. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh god! But like, I I feel like I could take a Rabude Gilliman, like a, a fourteen-foot-tall Skaven. I think I could take that based solely on um. You, have either of you read the, all the Gotrek and Felix novels? I've read all the Bill King ones. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you remember, um, there was, Tankwall had this little sidekick called Lurk or Lurch, this little Skaven mm. guy, and he got really, really big because he huffed a bunch of warp dust in the Realm of Chaos, all that kind of stuff. And he was still really scared of everything. He's like, yeah, I'll take this airship for my own. I'll eat all these dwarves because I'm so hungry. And one dwarf rounds a corner. He's like, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> I feel like I could just puff myself up really big and yell really loudly and I scare it off. It's like fighting a bear. <laughs> if it actually oh, wait, attacks so is, me, is, I'm is dead. The, is the alternative <laughs> one Robute Gilliman-sized Skaven? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah huge oh, Skaven. Well, yeah, obviously it's Skaven then. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. Do I want to yeah. fight? Do I want to fight one giant Rabute Gilliman or a hundred tiny ones? I was like, well, I don't want to do either of those things because he's murdered me. <laughs> now, now, now I'm listening because it's only ten o'clock yeah. and I'm only a quarter of the way through That's my cup fair. of tea. Now That's I want fair. to fight a giant Skaven because, like you say, they're afraid of everything. Oh, <laughs> I'll, add, I'll add a twist. Or you could fight one Rabute Gilliman as he is accurately presented in the Adeptus Titanicus scale with his current model. I.e., a reboot Gilliman who's roughly fifty-five meters tall, well, like a, like a kaiju, kaiju. Yeah, Gilliman. like a Reva Titan, like a Reva Titan-sized reboot Gilliman. I mean, that one I'd fight because that one would kill me so fast I wouldn't feel it. Like you just step yeah, on me, I'd be down for that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be stabbed oh, to death by a hundred tiny reboot Gilliman. Yeah, yeah. That, that would take a while and would hurt. <laughs> it would, yeah. The old like, flesh wound. <laughs> I, I've yeah, seen, I've seen people. Cool. Yeah, I've seen people use Gilliman as like a proxy for a um the Sister of Battle Redemption Engine thing. But I really want to see an Adeptus Titanicus game played with Primarch models now. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh dear, oh. I. I think I. I think I would fight the like to fight the hundred ones because I think it'd just be hilarious. 
Because <laughs> I would love, I would love for them to have like the little voices as well as he's as they're fighting. Oh, yeah, that you know, be it's, it, that's what make it. Yeah, rah, like that with their little mini, like I said, with their smaller emperor swords. You know, let's get him. Like you know, and all these little Gillimans are like chasing you around, like like Benny Hill. You know, it just be. I think it'd be a let. <laughs> I am Imperial Regent. <laughs> no, I'm Imperial Regent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, what, they just they just fall into infighting about who's the Imperial yeah. Regent. <laughs> <laughs> but if they've got his brain though, to be fair, then they, they would be all extremely diplomatic and very polite to each other. Wow. Yeah, they're like um, the Council but... of Bricks. They'd be a council of Gullivans oh and they'd all have different haircuts <laughs> and different numbers and they'd all be, <laughs> they'd be governing they'd be governing each other. <laughs> oh, I want to meet. I want to meet the Gilliman with the good old like eighties disco punk afro. <laughs> yeah, it's like those really mad skins you get in, in yeah. like, certain video games. Yeah. You're like, really? Oh god, <laughs> why hasn't not... why hasn't Games Workshop gotten on that? Sell sell me a reboot Gilliman rare variant. I'll take that. Well, once they fuck up the like prime timeline and have to introduce alternate realities, you'll probably get that. Oh, like once we once we've blown delicious. up the galaxy and like Abaddon's won, and then we have to go to an alternate timeline to fight that Abaddon to stop him. Like <laughs> then, then you can have all the different Gilliman. <laughs> uh, or you could have, if you've ever watched the film the one which is a jet lee film where he's got to fight parallel universe versions of him you could have mm. something like that that would be quite cool where gilliman is literally invade you know basically traveling to other parallel universes to take himself out this um, is the darkest timeline timeline reboot gilliman has a small goatee and constantly rubs it <laughs> <laughs> and constantly like gets it on with Eldar. He just has like a boudoir of oh, Eldar. And oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, well, I hope I hope everyone's enjoying this for the next three hours. That's what we're yeah, going to be talking about. That's what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, this is the best fan I fiction. Mean, this is the best timeline. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. So Sigma Fruit, I hope you've enjoyed. Our conclusions on this, groundbreaking mm. as they are, <laughs> probably consumed by regret, regret and shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's every show we do. Um, <laughs> cool, right? Well, let's. Actually, I was going to say, we, you know, we we said we we're not going to have a hobby section. Cameron, do you mm. think you could do yours in literally thirty seconds? If I went right, put a clock on it, and went right, summarize what you've done in thirty seconds. Go. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. When when am I going from? Ready, go! Making Alpha Legion, they're very cool. Contrast is great. Contrast is so good. Got the uh, Sigmarite Mausoleum, very cool. Got it, and then the next day started running Curse of Strahd for D&D, so it's perfect. That's my hobby. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, I didn't set the timer. Sorry, Cameron, Uh, but you did well, son. Right, um... (laughs) (laughs) I I know, Stephen, you've been busy at E3. Um, Have you got a 30-second Warhammer hobby or anything Warhammer related you want to just say you've been doing? I have been reading. I'm still plowing through uh, a bunch of uh, books from Black Library and I've opened, my friend went to Japan a few months ago and he got me one of the season two Blood Angel Terminator like random Mm. box things. So I got that and got excited about it and opened it to see which one I got and then I was like that's nice and then I put it back in its box and it's still in my uh, office slash hobby room, uh, and that's about as much hobby as I've done. 
I've had a contrast pace at some point in the future. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I made that. I yes. made that commitment in my brain. Good, good lad. Good. <laughs> when it's actually available again. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, yeah. That well, that that'll be that'll be kicking off my thirty seconds. Ready, Matt? To myself, <laughs> go. Um, yeah, I've ordered my contrast paints. Um, they're on the way, unfortunately, because of the whole stock issue thing. They've still not arrived yet, but yeah, like I said, they're definitely on their way as we speak. Um, I finished off my Chaos Lord on a Manticore this morning, um, which now means I've built 1,000 points of Blades of Corn. Yes! Get in! Ooh. I'm actually making progress of sorts. Um, it's very... This is groundbreaking for me. Um, it's only taken me God knows how long. <laughs> um, I've also started on my Mirkwood Raider, uh, Raiders Rangers for Middle-Earth. They're amazingly delicate and... I literally built a few the other night and felt I needed to pass out afterwards because they're so delicate and I was concentrating so much. Um, Reading-wise, I have read Spear of the Emperor. Uh, it's one of the best 40k books I've read in a good while. It's got tear-jerking moments. It's great. Just go and bloody read it, okay? <sighs> right, so we've caught up on the hobby stuff. <laughs> That's what we're going to do every show now. <laughs> <laughs> condense it into simpler. one minute <laughs> right so as promised we'll uh, kick on with the latest news uh, so we'll start with the 40k stuff so um this was quite appropriate because i believe she has uh, gone up for pre-order today on the um on the gw site and all the others uh sister superior amalia novena Mm. Let me see if she's actually available for pre-order. Because I remember this with the Noise Marine. They made us fight for the Noise Marine. But you could order from independent retailers. Did they make us sized (laughs) Skaven? (laughs) I think think she... I think she is up, because um, I saw it on Alchemists uh, this morning. Yeah, but that, that's the thing, is the, the independent retailers let you pre-order the Noise Marine, but Games Workshop themselves didn't, and yeah, she's not available on Games Workshop pre-orders. Oh, uh, controversial. you got, you got to go into store and fight the manager for the exclusive right to own a Sister of Battle. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were yeah, releasing um, it online as well. Is that not true? Uh, on the day, I think you'll be able to purchase it online, but... For some reason, a lot of these, they don't actually let you pre-order the cool, random, exclusive time-off models. Oh. Still not sure what the idea there is. I mean, just order from an independent retailer if you're dead set on it. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, come to Joondle up and fight me next Saturday. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so, uh, sis- so, uh, She's the uh, sister superior, sister of battle that we have seen advertised before. The one, the iconic one from the is it the, is it Fire and Blood? Is it uh, is that the novel? Yes, she's a front I'm cover of, I believe. Pretty sure it's that one. Something like that. So yeah, she's the um, the first proper, you know, fully designed sister of battle. The new plastic sisters that we're seeing. So they mm. did promise a while ago that they were going to let us buy it early, so we can, you know, sort of talk nicely to our wallets in advance and say look don't worry it's going to be a hard time coming but it'll be worth it in the end uh, so <laughs> you say that but i'm sure there's at least one person who's going to go and buy 10 of these and meticulously build a full squad <laughs> <laughs> what with different with like a disc a disco theme and uh, another one yeah, with yeah, a, absolutely. you know all sort of other themes yeah 
Yeah, it could there's, do. There's a very brave person out there who's ready with a hobby saw, and I salute them. But they're mad. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a friend of yours, Cameron? <laughs> that could be, no. That could be your, your an acquaintance. <laughs> it's not me. Don't worry. <laughs> Busy with our pollution. Uh, <laughs> are you uh, really nice to get model. a Steven? Oh yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I was a I was a big sisters player back in the day, um, so I'm excited for the for the re-release. But I just I love that they're doing this. Like I love how they've done the sisters release and how they've been showing off design stuff and like previews of the different components and everything and like what their design series has been such an interesting uh, read through and like experience especially from them because they've never done anything like that before and I think it's really mm. good and I love that they're releasing this model early as like a this was like our benchmark here like mm. we're going to release her early so you can all sort of get one in your hands and see how good the quality is because the sculpt like in pictures looks insane like how detailed it is <laughs> yeah yeah so then they're releasing it to be like yeah these aren't like these aren't my like, altered images like we haven't photoshopped this sister she is real <laughs> and she looks this good like um because oh. she looks, she looks insane. Like I can't wait to oh, yeah. to get that model. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do you think? It, do you, I was going to say, do you think that this is a bit of a uh, sort of an experiment for Games Workshop in the sense that, as we know, they you know, especially in the past, they can be quite guarded when it comes to you know exposing you know what's coming out. I mean, I know often we'll get a trailer or a hint of something, and then. You know, maybe six months will later we'll actually see it. But like, like, like you said, Stephen, they're actually being quite like. Look at these individual parts are actually showing us. You know, being quite, you know, quite uh, open about it. Do you think that if they feel this, you know, works well for them, not just financially, but also you know the way it works, and maybe they sort of think, oh, maybe we don't need to be as guarded as we have been in the past. Do you think that then this could become a thing for them regularly? Well, yeah, I, I honestly don't see the reason not to do it like this. Like, you know, we hear all the time when they interview, like, people in the development studio about how they work, like, two and three years in advance. So it's not like producing a model range is a fast process. And I don't think there's any harm in announcing, like, their competitors aren't going to be able to, like, oh, no, they've announced this thing quick, we can jump on and get it done faster. Like, it just takes too long. And, <laughs> and, and their quality is now at a level where no one else can really compete with them. So it's like... I don't see any harm in it, and I think all it does really is build the hype train. Well, I mean, they announced it at Warhammer. It was like Warhammer Fest or whatever last year, last and then they showed, yeah, yeah and, and then they showed her like fully sculpted paint job this year, and then in between they keep showing details. I think it's, I think it's a super smart way. I think they wouldn't do it for everything because they like to, they like to announce mm. things as surprises, like oh hey, there's this new like board game coming out, and or oh, there's this new character coming out but i think for like big anticipated army releases like if like you know if we flip it to age of sigma if they did uh, a new version of tomb kings for example if they're like hey we're gonna oh, re man. we're gonna we're gonna resurrect the <laughs> no pun intended the tomb king um and have like do a, do them like age of sigma them up so they feel unique and distinct and then i think they would do a similar thing for that where they would show it over the two years that they're developing it because i think people would be like super hyped for that and i hope they do do that because i also play tomb kings as well as sisters so i would love for them to do that mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's fair yeah 
Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I I think I completely agree with you. I think they do need to be a bit more open at times. It it because you can tell that even the staff and the people higher up are actually quite. I feel well to me anyway. They feel like they're quite frustrated. It's like when you know when I went to Warhammer Fest the other month uh, recently, and I was speaking to people like Ben Johnson and people like that. You know, who obviously have got a lot of information they know what's coming and you can tell these that it's almost like every time a question is fired their way it's almost like oh i've got to be careful not to slip up and and reveal <laughs> yeah. something and it, that's a lot of pressure on people it is. and some i mean you know I, I understand you can't say literally everything you know but you've got to keep some things slightly secret but it almost can go slightly too much the other way and and obviously you know it yourself Stephen, from um from video games as well where you know there's things get leaked and they're trying to you know keep things uh, depending on obviously who the developer and publisher is as well and it and it's a shame really because again in that same thing i was at the the aos q a session and again you could tell he was desperate <laughs> to, to reveal stuff and he was literally every almost every question he was looking at you know his colleagues and go can i say it can can i say this you know and it's like it shouldn't be like that because otherwise it just you know feels like they're holding back and and I, I again i don't know if it's the same for you two guys um if you if you watch or listen to either voxcast or stormcast the official mm. podcasts is mm. that you get some amazing insight but again i feel like there's always that little part of them that's holding back you know you like like as a listener or i'm like just 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 say what you want to say <laughs> it's, it's on the tip of their yeah. tongue but they can <laughs> no it is yeah. the thing and like and it's the same in it's definitely the same in, in games and like movies as well as like you know the creative people who make creative uh content like we always want to talk about what we're making but uh, like a lot of the times we can't and especially when you work so far ahead as they do as well because i've got friends in the in the design studio and like i went back to england a couple of months ago for for like a wedding and just to see family because i've not been back in a while um and we went i went for dinner with a bunch of friends in nottingham and, and like they were talking about stuff and it was on the day of um the warhammer fest i think it was when they announced a bunch of like uh, stuff like the new vehicles and things mm. and my friend mm-hmm. he was like he worked on them and he was like oh it's so nice to be able to talk about them now because like I, I did them so long ago I, I kind of forgot <laughs> that I'd done them and that they were coming out and I didn't know when they'd be because they work so far ahead in advance they just completely forget mm. what they can even talk about or what's been announced or what hasn't because like they work on it they, they finish it and then they move on and then you know your, your mind your mind moves on and you don't really think about those previous projects again um, yeah. but they can hold them back for like years. It's a bit different for games because we generally just work on one thing and then release the one thing and then move on. We don't mm-hmm. we don't usually work on something, move on, and then that thing isn't released for ages. Like it's usually a it's very much a, a one in one out kind of cycle for games. It seems a bit different to like miniature games and miniature designing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, <clears throat> it is difficult. I mean, it, like again, at, at Warhammer Fest, I won't say any details, but the, you know, <laughs> Cameron knows what I'm talking about. Um, mm. But like, for example, a particular somebody there told me something that I shouldn't have known. Not, it, it's nothing major, really. But you know, mm. but again, I I asked them a question. You know, it's very simple. You know, but you know what you you know about what they're working on, and obviously they told me what they're working on, and then obviously then had to afterwards tell me, oh, by the way, you know, obviously knowing that I was part of the podcast, like, yeah, can you not <laughs> tell anyone? And it's like, you know, it, but it just shows. Uh, and obviously I, I, I'm going to respect that and, and, not, and obviously not reveal the information. Um, but it, 
it just shows that it's so easy. Like I just, I just asked them a very simple question and they can, you know, you just naturally will, will just answer it because you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait a minute. No, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, no, I follow you. So some point in the episode, clap one for Lionel Johnson, clap twice for Lehman Russ and we'll just, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, if it was something like that, I would, I, I don't know how I would keep that to myself. I mean, luckily it's, I mean, it's something I'm looking forward to, but it, the, what was uh, sort of slipped, but it, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. yeah, if only, if only, um, you know, I'd, maybe if we get there one day, you know, we'll, uh, you know, send our spies in, we'll send the uh, Inquisition in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's difficult, right, though, because okay. like, as, a, as, like a, as, a, as, a, as a creative who makes things, I understand and respect the secrecy and stuff, but then as a rabid consumer of Games Workshop, I'm also like, just tell me, I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i think they, they've obviously got their own formula and i suppose they're just they're used to it aren't they really but i suppose let's be honest as we saw with you know what we're talking about the sisters of battle they are loosening up so yeah yeah and most know, of the releases we'll, and stuff come from them now like like the website oh, yeah. like you know you used to go to different websites to hear all the rumors now you just go to the warhammer community website because it's pretty much all there for mm. yeah yeah, and I yeah. suppose with the internet we get the leaks. Um, I mean, it, it, it's now it's it's funny now because it's almost like you like I remember with contrast coming out obviously recently. I was there sort of sniffing around for the price of them, and you, it's almost like you, you go right if I'm on Twitter, if I'm on some of these other websites, we're going to find the price. You know, someone is going to leak the price because it's all and it's just funny that even if they try to keep it on lockdown. It, it, the information gets out there, you know, no matter how much you try and hold, you know, hold it back. If you don't want to sort of reveal it, someone you know, throws a screenshot of a spreadsheet from the a local <laughs> retailer and go, ah, there we go. That's what they're going to cost. And yeah. we yeah. can plan our wallets in advance. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good thing, right? It's a good sign that people are hungry for information about what's coming and they're excited. It'd be a, it'd be a bit more worrying if no one cared and everyone was like, oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's a testament to GW at the moment, really, because let's be honest. Okay, they have the odd slip up, but ultimately they're knocking it out of the park all pretty much all the time. Yep. And obviously, we as a community are very passionate about the you know all aspects of it, whether it's the models, the, the rules, the books, and obviously a combination of that. And it and it shows, <laughs> you know, because like you said, we're we're absolutely ravenous for something to come out. And and it's and it's it's quite funny, really, because obviously it's a hobby which is not a fast hobby, really. Mm. You know, like you know, again, if I make the comparison to video games, is that I know I know generally video games are getting longer. Um, as you'll agree with me, Stephen, with uh, Odyssey. Um, <laughs> that's a Sorry about beast. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's a, it's a, a wonderful world to get lost in. Um, but it's um, with Warhammer. It's not like I said. It's not a, a quick hobby. You know, look how look how bad we are for buying stuff and then like putting it in the backlog. But and then obviously a month later, something else shiny will happen. You know, come out, we buy it, it goes back on the. Don't you know, know the what you're talking about. This not oh yeah, sorry. It's just what I hear. Don't know what you're on about. <laughs> I'm not trying to throw stuff away to make room for Warcry. No idea what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it's funny because I, I think I, it always feels like now we we get to a point where we, you know, you say you're working on something, and I've sort of I, I feel like now that I I don't care about what I'm working on in the sense that I don't I don't feel bad anymore about switching mm. stuff you know we go right i've done a bit of this i you know it's almost like you feel like you gotta earn it like like i said I, earlier I've, I've built 
a thousand points of blades of corn. I'm like, great, okay, I need to paint them when my contrast stuff arrives. But now I feel if if I want to jump and start something in 40k, I've almost earned that because I think, well, you know, look, I've done something. You know, I'm not just, you know, yeah, and it's talking a hobby. Crap like it's, it's for enjoyment. Did. Like, what's the point in doing it if you don't enjoy it? Like, you know, it shouldn't. I think we all put that pressure on ourselves uh, in mm. our hobby careers at one point. And I think, I think reaching the the next step, which is letting go of that guilt is an important one because it makes the hobby so much more enjoyable. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, Cameron, you're obviously very good at, at actually doing stuff, but I spit yourself, you still jump around, <laughs> don't you a lot? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm so good at doing stuff. I say, as I, that, look, there, there is literally a box in my bedroom which is open to the sky, so I know my shame. And in that box is the torso, tail, and legs of Smog all glued together, sitting oh, and yeah. waiting for more bits. And I'm not touching him for like another three weeks. And I know I'm not doing that because I've got Alpha Legion kill teams to make out of the Space Marine Heroes range <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Graveyards to build out of the Sigmite Mausoleum. Uh, I, I don't. Personally, I, I always have the thing in my mind of one day, hopefully, I'm going to be old and retired and I'll have this massive mountain of plastic to do with as I will. This is my retirement <laughs> savings plan is I'm going to have a Legion of Death Guard, Legion of Slanesh Demons, two Alpha Legion kill teams, and I'm going to spend my twilight days just painting away with contrast and dodgy eyesight. Uh, which is not all that different from the current day, to be fair. Uh. I love that our our parents' generation they like saved you know money for retirement, and our generation we save plastic and steam libraries for our retirement. Like we're just Look, gonna yes. <laughs> yeah. Look, when the apocalypse comes, what's going to be worth more to you? Some cotton U.S. dollars that fade away in water, or a space marine? There's hundreds of thousands of them out there. They don't decay <laughs> over time. They're non-biodegradable. <laughs> and you can find them bloody everywhere. <laughs> I feel yeah. like, seriously, if, there, if there's a post-apocalyptic <clears throat> situation, I think small Games Workshop miniatures may become a f- currency of forms. <laughs> Some form of currency. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll, trade, I'll trade you a Space Marine for two Hive Tyrants. <laughs> is that the exchange rate today? <laughs> isn't there something like that in Pacific, when, when, when we were talking about Pacific Rim 2 on another show? Mm. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that that bit where he's like, they, he gives away like a car and like he gets some like sweets and like, because there's just obviously oh, yeah, all, the, like all the kaiju have been sort of killed off at that point and there's just so mm. much like, you know, luxury Random items crap. that they mean yeah, nothing. Yeah. It's going to be less yeah. of me. It'll be like, oh, I need to, I need to buy pizza. Here's a box of Space Marine Scouts. It's still sealed. Oh, still you get stuffed crust for that box. then. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that sealed product has become like the premium currency. Like, oh, it's sealed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I've got, I've got like a first run Reboot Gilliman new in plastic. Still got oh, the wrap man. on them and everything. Oh, Oof. beautiful. <laughs> Save him for a rainy day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, let's, let's talk about more plastic. Let's talk about Mm. painting your own Funko Pop. Um, this is a thing. Um, the evil has been defeated. (laughs) Now you can choose from all 1000 chapters of Space Marines for your Funko Pop. (laughs) I love this. I think this is an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're into it. Well, I saw. Yeah, I saw. I can't remember who it was. And I'm, I feel bad now, mm. but one of the one of the heavy metal painters or one of the staff painters at GW did an amazing, uh, an amazing custom one for his 
for his army, mm. like his colour scheme, and I was like, that looks incredible. And I was like, why yeah. haven't they done this? And then they did, and I was like, oh, well, well now it makes yeah, so much go. sense. Yeah, a I'm, good really, idea. I'm really, yeah, yeah, I'm really into this for one reason, which is when they showed off that seven-inch-tall Bandai uh, Primaris action, posable action figure, they said, we're considering selling a grey unpainted version to you horrible people, you horrible internet people who need to paint things, everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is the first step on that road is them going, okay, we've sold you Funko Pops. Now we're going to sell you a customizable Funko Pop. And if this does ironic, well, right? and it will do well, they'll sell us the grey Bandai figure, which is all I want. <laughs> well, of all the, of all the, of all the like nerd cultures and nerd groups on the internet, like we are the last ones that need more shit to paint. Like you think we'd be as a community would be grateful for having someone paint something for us. Like, oh, thanks, this beautiful figure that I can have on display. I'd have to do anything for it. I can just open yeah. it out of the box, and there we go. But no, yeah. no, no, no. We're just but, we're, we're our worst yeah, enemies. Well, let me put it this way: I open, I open the glistening blind Funko Pop box. I have no idea what's it. A space wolf. Thanks. I throw it to one side. It's worthless to me. So grateful. <laughs> we have very deep connections. We have very deep connections. We need to make things our own, apparently, I guess is how this works. It's true. I did I did yeah. see the Blood Angel one. I was like, oh, I don't want a I don't want a jetpack one. I just want a normal one. Like, yeah, but that's the that's where it comes <laughs> from because I'm the same. I'm looking at them because at the moment I'm I'm setting up a new recording room or slash office at the moment because I'm going to be moving house and I, I'm there like I want I want one of these or a couple of these to put on my desk so I can mm. look cool in front of my you know in front of my wife and everything um, <coughs> but <laughs> oh, like more no. tat on, on the bloody table um, but I want to I want to paint my own in a way because I, I'm not actually that keen on the, the default four actually I was, I was sort of looking at thinking mm, it's not oh. no, not oh one God. I particularly want I want to paint my it, own so Matt Matt, just slide aside. You know what we do need to do? And I've kind of had this idea floating around in my head for a while. You know how Forge World sells that little space marine statue? Like Um, the... Of just the normal tactical marine with the bolter. It's like four inches tall. It's a big action-y looking thing. I'll find a picture of it to you later. I don't know if they still sell it. I know some places on the internet where you can find them if they don't still sell it. Um, no, <laughs> nothing illegal happening here. Oh, right. Is that a recast? Um, uh, but we should get a fu- we should get a few Funko Pops and paint them in the realm in ruin colors and give them mm. away. Oh, that's a yes. great idea. Let's do it. Well, that was we did sort of something similar for our first sort of giveaway, didn't we? Where we mm. told asked people to paint a miniature Painting in our colors. So yeah, well now yeah. we'll paint the miniature for you. Just like, yeah. wait a minute. Subscribe. Wait. <laughs> wait a minute. What are we signed up to here? <laughs> I can't even paint my own models. That's a good point. Okay, no, no. I, I'll grab one of these Funko Pops and paint it up in the Realm of Ruin colors, and yeah. then I'll give it away. But yeah. you might you might have to pay shipping because it does have to get from Australia to somewhere else. Okay, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how we'll, that goes. <laughs> well, let's let's do it. Uh, we'll do that then. So we, we'll, we're, I think we're due a giveaway soon anyway. So because mm, yeah. uh, I think we're about to hit a, 
another download target soon or milestone. Mm. So I think what we'll do is we'll both do one, and then depending on where the Beautiful. the winner is in the world, we'll sh- they'll get either mine or yours. Yeah, and they're like, please be <laughs> oh, Cameron's. Um, and, <laughs> and so I'll cover one half of the world. You cover the yeah <laughs> the other. Yeah, half. I'll do yeah. I'll do southern hemisphere. You do northern hemisphere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> can't wait! Can't wait for the listeners in Antarctica to win their Funko. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, but yeah, it's anyway. it's it's a thing. So I yeah, oh, I, th- I think we're doing great. that now. Uh, yeah, surprise <laughs> announcement. <laughs> yeah, so so much of a surprise we didn't even know we were doing it until now. Mm. Happy days. That's the best ideas. They just oh yeah, they just come absolutely. out of nothing. Right. Um, talking of grand ideas, uh, the yeah. big thing that f- GW's pushing at the moment is 40k apocalypse. Um, as of today, uh, Saturday 22nd, mm-hmm. I think it's now up for pre-order, I think. Is it? Or I am I making no, it's that up for pre-order next weekend. Oh, is it? On, oh, on the I'm... Warhammer day, it goes up, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would make yeah. sense. Right. So, but they're, 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 they're plugging it. Scrambling for that night box. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of all, I'm out of sorts of the releases at the moment. They're throwing stuff mm. out at the moment at a uh, impressive pace, to be fair. But uh, yeah, so Apocalypse, yeah, is the uh, the big thing they're pushing at the moment. And um, I must admit, it's it's looking good. I'm from what oh, I'm yeah. seeing of it. Um, I'll never play it. I'll be honest, because I don't think I'll <laughs> ever have that many miniatures <laughs> ready. Yeah, as yeah. we were sort of saying, but I think it's looking it's looking positive. I think anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like a lot of the changes like i it has alternating uh turn activation things so you do a whole de- detachment your opponent does a whole detachment you back and forth till all the detachments have been activated um i like that as far as i can tell units stay more or less at full strength because you don't have 40 one wound orcs you have one orc with 40 wounds effectively oh, and God. when you've dealt I'm thinking of and, you, and, and Gilliman's oh, again that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> a single yeah, orc yeah. the size of a warlord titan uh, <laughs> I mean that's canon I guess so it's like uh, it's like in Wreck-It Ralph 2 it's just like a giant oh. orc made of like a million orcs holding on to each other <laughs> yeah 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 so um so yeah, mm-hmm. so for units, they are they are they don't get super less effective as you damage them. I think once you get them to half wounds, they do half as many attacks and half as many shots. I Something like that. I'm sure that's how it works. Yeah, but I like that idea if it makes things simpler because you just have a wound counter for your unit of forty orcs. You don't have to every couple of minutes pull another three orcs off the pile and throw them back into the box or anything like that. It's nice and simple. Um, damage happens at the end of the turn, so your Warlord Titan isn't shot off the table unceremoniously turn one uh, without <laughs> doing anything. All kinds of good stuff. Um, I'm interested to see if it lets you actually play as fast as they say, because like, you could do a game of Apocalypse in like an e- a couple of hours over the course of an evening or something. Like, oh, okay. Last time I played <laughs> Apocalypse, it took eight and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see no, how that goes. <laughs> it, it's fun, it's funny because it, to me it seems quite almost anti forty k in the sense that mm. obviously at, at the moment eighth edition especially is known as the the edition where you basically get your your stuff just shot off the table basically mm. you know yeah. where nothing lasts for very long unless it's extremely lucky because i mean you've only got to go online and sort of you know you, you go to the different forums and read about you know suggested units like, oh you know and people are, are 
giving across their army lists and you know oh should i take one of these and like nah mate mm. don't 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 put one of those in it will last <laughs> one turn it will last it won't like you know just that sort of stuff and mm. i, I want to i want to put my nice toys on the table no no yeah. get shot off the table yeah. um <laughs> at least with this it sort of it goes slightly against that because you've got that like you said you've got that nice sort of mechanic where that okay if they are going to be taken off the board then they're done right at the end of the turn aren't they they sort of take yeah. you put a damage counter on them and then they save at the end don't they and you've got like d12s to wound and things like that it's it's oh crazy I stuff it's, i <laughs> think it's d12s to keep track of wounds but i'm not sure might be a d12 no no wound. i think it's i think it's d12 really? to wound yeah oh my it's god sort of las, las guns just got so strong it's yeah, only wounding you, on a six plus on a D twelve, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's. I think from my re- from what I've seen is you've got different modifiers or different uh, requirements mm. depending on what you're against, like against troops and against vehicles and against okay. you know yeah, sort yeah. of knights and things like that. So yeah, I don't think it's as you know as easy as it sounds. I think it depends obviously what you're shooting said last mm. cannon at. <laughs> well, I watched the um, I watched the video that they put up that Becca Scott mm. did about like how to play. Um, just to sort of get a, because uh, I didn't read all the articles, I just wanted to get like a listen to it in the background while I was at work. And uh, I do wonder. I was thinking after watching it because I think it looks really. I like how they've streamlined a lot of things. And I like how like squads actually serve a purpose and can be useful. It's not just tank wars, which is what I always thought mm. Apocalypse and that Armageddon stuff was. Um, yeah. But I do wonder between between this new because because this and Kill Team are both basically like modulated. Uh, tweaked versions of the 8th edition uh, rule set, I do wonder how mm. much of this is a sign mm. of things to come between Kill Team and Apocalypse, like how much of these things are going to bleed into like Ninth edition, if Ninth edition is going to be this mm. fully flexible modular thing from, you can play this rule set with a squad of guys, or you can play it with 2,000 squads of guys, and it's completely yeah, flexible. Yeah. I do wonder how much yeah. of that is, is um, foreshadowing of the new edition. Yeah, yeah, I think you could be right. And I think, actually, talking of foreshadowing, I think that one key thing that they've shown off is the fact that they're giving, obviously, the the data sheets away for free, or Mm -hmm. obviously, to download. And that's a big deal because it, and it's, it's, it's really funny because me and my work colleague have been in the last week before any of this uh, apocalypse stuff came out. We were sort of, sort of frustrated the fact that it doesn't seem fair that from an AOS perspective, you can, Download the app, you can go on the website, and you can uh, download the War Scrolls. Well, that's a good thing, but when you compare it to 40k, you can't. It's like, and and if, you, if you're, you know, a, a brand new person to Warhammer in general, and obviously, like, oh, do I go the sci-fi side? Do I go the fantasy side? And, you know, you think to yourself, well, hang on, on that, you know, we're two games that, are, let's be honest, they're very similar. They Okay, they've got different mechanics, but fundamentally, they're, like I said, one's a sci-fi version, one's a fantasy version. And if you think, hang on, so on that fantasy version, I get this stuff for free, but I've got to pay for it on this one? Like, you know, like, you, you, you sort of scratching your head a bit. And yeah. I think maybe they are starting to go that way because it, it, it this, this conversation I had was because we were talking about Malifaux. And um, the one thing that Malifaux does is they, the rule book's free. Um, the, you know, you can download the cards for free. And also the other thing, which is slightly off topic is the fact that you can go on their website and you can download the build instructions for all the models as well. Obviously at the moment, if you lost the instructions or you've bought it off eBay and don't don't have any instructions, um, you can email games workshop and they'll send you a PDF, which is great. And they they always do it. They're very friendly and will do it. But 
you sort of think to yourself, why is that not on your website? Why can I just not yeah. go onto your onto the page of that particular unit and just download the instructions or see the data sheet? And it should be, to me, it should be all across the board. And hopefully, maybe this is going to be the first step towards that. I think it I is. Know. I think I think you will. I think you will see it all go online. I think like I could totally envision a future like for Ninth Edition where all the rules are free, all the scrolls are free. And they can keep them up to date as well, so they can tweak things that appear broken or things that they didn't anticipate working together. They can change them uh, without much fuss because all the rules are online. And then the books would be um, scenario and fluff based. So, like, you get your big shiny rule book or your codex, and it's full of lore and painting stuff and scenarios and custom stuff. So, it's still got value. So, you can still have a nice shelf of codexes for the actual. Mm. like hard mechanics you need to play the game you just download on an app and you don't need them and then it's all about like what you want to like invest and 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 they can keep the game a bit more fluid i think yeah yeah i I agree and i i think because i i sort of came to the conclusion the other day that let's say you know like you said the, the rules are free codexes were optional where you could just buy them more for the the sort of fluff perspective because again comparing it to Malifaux um uh, the reason we we were talking about it is because the new edition of the game is coming out next week and what you can do again you can download the book um or you can buy it if you want the the rules and you want the law behind it but it's still only about I don't know 13 pounds which is you know quite a reasonable price for a, a quite a thick you know book with, to go with it um and I was sort of thinking from a, you know, from a GW point perspective, you think, I think to myself, well, at the end of the day, if you weren't charging for certain things, like say you didn't have to buy the rule book, you know, the big 35 quid one, or, or say you did, it's, you know, it's because you want to read the law or whatever, and you didn't have to buy codexes and they were all, all free is I think a lot of people would end up using the money they've saved to buy other models. Potentially. Oh, hell yeah. So, you know, mm. you know, I, I think it would. Cause you think, well, because, you know, let's be honest, I think sometimes you do begrudge. Like, oh, well, I need to spend 25 quid on that codex. I mean, they're always lovely books. It's no, it's no criticism of the quality of them because they're always decent. And obviously we enjoy covering them on here as well. It's just that obviously, mm. you know, as we sort of going back to the point where we're, we're like, you know, we're g- jumping around and shiny being, you know, spotting things like a magpie going, oh, I want to start this army. I want, you know, you've end up, end up buying all the models for all these armies, but then you've got to buy all the codexes, all the battle tomes for all these armies as well. And it's sort of, it, that's where it can mount up. But, you know, like I said, if you save 25 quid on one of these books, oh, you didn't need to buy it. It's just, here you go, here's a download of it. You'd go, right, okay, I'm going to go and buy, you know, that start collecting box, you know. Yeah, and they're, not, and they're not shy so about, about saying that they're a miniature company first. Like, that, that is their stance. That's hmm. always been their stance. They are designing miniatures to sell because that's what makes them money. And the rules are... Like they come secondary, like you know, like uh, when Ben Johnson was talking about it, and he was like, "Yeah, we the, the design team come to us and like, oh, we've made these models, designed some rules for them so that we can sell them." It was like with mm. purpose, and it's like so for me, it makes sense with their business model is they want to sell miniatures and they want to sell more miniatures, and a really easy way to do that is to take away the dependence on players having to buy books as well to play the game. If you give them all the rules for free. Like you say, they're just going to go out and buy more miniatures, you know. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. I I think it's coming. It's just you know, it's like I said, I suppose it's small steps because I I remember at the at that same AOS Q and A with with uh, Ben Johnson at Warmer Fest. I remember him saying that because someone asked a question about uh, like digital codexes, like you know where you if you 
you know, say you bought a physical version and you got the digital copy for free, which again, I think that should be a thing or maybe a middle ground at least. Um, it was something on those lines. I can't remember, but he said that they, they, because actually I think it was because they were complaining about the number of books you have to carry with you, you know, all these different ones, which mm. is a fair comment. And, you know, whereas like I said, most of us have got our phones or we've got a tablet with us and we can carry it on that. And I think he said that from a technology point of view, they, it's something they're not they they would love to do and like and he sort of, he didn't say they will do but he's i think it's still on the table it's just the fact that i don't think they've sort of there's a lot of mechanics that go with it like it's not a, an easy thing and i i sort of accept it to a degree but let's be honest there's other companies that not necessarily miniature companies there's other companies that do it out there and that so if they've done it you can do it you know they, we know they got the money <laughs> we know how well they're doing financially uh, it's almost just getting the right you know the right team in even if you've got no one in your own company that can pull it off from a technology point of view you've got you know you've got external companies that can come in and go right yeah this is what this is how you deliver this type of service and then in the long run it will pay for itself so you know but we'll see i suppose right okay um so Regarding Apocalypse, uh, we've got, mm-hmm. like I said, a few other things that are uh, or have been mentioned. So we've got new tokens of dice. Um, we've got the movement trays as well, which is mm. quite an interesting one. What's your thoughts on these on these movement trays that have been announced? Probably get some for AOS, I think. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think there's a lot of people are thinking that mm. as well. Yeah. I mean, they, they look fine. Movement trays are things people are already using from various companies, so hopefully they've, they're have they competitively priced, and any Apocalypse tournaments don't require Games Workshop-specific ones. Uh, but uh, it's a movement tray. It's an yeah. inoffensive item. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're a required yeah. thing. I think, they're, I think they're more just to make the game faster, to yeah. try and mm. reach yeah, this exactly. two-hour limit that they keep talking about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, it's not a bad thing. Again, I've heard price-wise they're not great. Again, I don't know what that means, as in I haven't really heard any figures, but from what I've, the vibe is anyone that's sort of heard prices, then they're a bit expensive. But again, like you said, it's a luxury item. It's not a necessity. It, you know, hopefully it will, you know, push them forward. Because again, it may become a thing. And if not, there's always third-party ones as well. Um, I think the things that have probably given most interest to people is obviously these box battalions that have been announced as well. These, uh, which I believe are going to be a hundred pounds each. That seems to be the, the figure that's been banded around. Um, now I don't know if you guys think the same, if you, if you've looked at these, but what I find quite amusing is that they're very value for money. They're, they're great, but and, but one thing I think you need to look at is when you, you know, because obviously people are often looking at them from, from not an apocalypse point of view. They're looking at them thinking, oh, I can start a 40k army with these. But what mm. you've got to consider is what's actually inside the box. Now, for example, if you look at the Space Marine one, the, you, you, you're basically getting 30 intercessors, a, a captain and a dreadnought. And you're thinking, do you want 30 intercessors? Yeah, <laughs> Think about this logically. A, Do you actually want that? It's <laughs> a really weird box. That was the one that like made me raise an eyebrow like, what? Why are there 30 intercessors? Why, are they even good for a, Is that great for Apocalypse? <laughs> I mean, it, I suppose it makes sense if, like, like Cameron said earlier, where instead of like, you know, they've got a, a wound counter, they've got 30, you know, well, 
maybe 60 wounds. I don't because obviously the two, yeah, times two. (laughs) So, you know, if that's the way it works, that's fine. But like I said, it's, I think all I would say to people that are looking at these box battalions and not saying this in a condescending way, but actually look what's in them. Don't just go and and buy it, you know, actually consider it. Think, do you actually want what's in that box? Because they're not, they are geared towards apocalypse. They're not all geared towards, um, for conventional 40k same with the chaos marine one yeah. you're like oh yes chaos space marines but then it comes with 30 chaos space marines it's like do you want the, and and some bikes and a chaos lord it's like do you want bikes and 30 chaos marines i mean if you do happy days but yeah that's probably not what you want mm. <laughs> for there, is, 40K. Uh, there, there is one exception which is the night box which everyone mm. needs because it's a dominus mm-hmm. and two armagers and yeah. that's a good box. Yeah, that box <laughs> yeah, is cool. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, where's my space marine yeah. box that's just Gilliman and three Redemptor Dreadnoughts? Where's that box? <laughs> <laughs> the Punch Squad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Uh, but you know, it's 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 good though. It's good at the end of the day. It's it's good value for money. I think, like I said, they they seem to be almost double. You know, I think I think you're saving at least fifty percent actually on the. Well, again, so yeah. I mean, all I hope is that they're not—they're um, not like silly limited edition, like where they're not gone but within. 10 I, I heard they were. I heard they were a limited uh, run release just for Apocalypse. I'm not surprised. It's a shame. But, I mean, again, I understand it because I suppose you don't want too much stock around. But um, you know, I, I just hope you know because obviously this is where. Things have, the ball's been dropped recently with things like Loon Curse, where there wasn't enough mm. boxes of that around, mm. and even randomly the uh, Lib, uh, the Liber Chaotica book that sort of just went off <laughs> off shelves. I still think, I still think they're uh, I still think they're adjusting to like the rise in popularity. I think they're struggling. Oh yeah, I think they're getting a bit mm, Nintendoy about it because Nintendo have always done this. They're like, here's a new console, and then it sells out, and they're like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. people wanted our new console. <laughs> what do we do? Uh, I guess we'll make more. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. I think part of it might also be. I think it was Warhammer Fest last year. They said they were going to start expanding production facilities up in. Nottingham, they did actually, yeah. And I'm pretty sure they're still not finished building new factories and warehouses and stuff. So they're probably still at full capacity. So they're trying to balance making new copies of older stuff while making all this brand new stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what their excuse is for contrast. Maybe they went, oh well. We've made it fairly. We've made it fairly popular, but it surely won't be that popular. And every man and his son wants contrast because it's the best thing on the face of the earth. Apparently, uh, <laughs> yeah, because they came out and were like, "This paint system will change everything," and then it did, and then everyone bought it, and they're like, "Oh no!" Yeah, everyone bought. Everyone we, bought we did into not make our enough. thing. <laughs> <laughs> they believed us. Think, what think- do we do? <laughs> they, they need to believe their own hype. I think they need to actually. Because it's almost like they're shocked by it, where they, you know, they if you think they're spending a lot of time and money, and they're doing such a good job of it as well, to actually hype us mm. up for these things that are coming out, and then they're not, you know, not on everything, but some of the things they're not meeting the demand of it, where they're like, oh, damn, <laughs> this is actually really popular. It's like, well, well yes, it's a damn good well, product, that, believe in yourselves. That's a good problem to have, like, that's a better problem yeah. to have than overstocking, mm. like, uh, you true, know, it, true. I remember when... I remember when uh, Netrunner, the new Netrunner, came out for fa- when Fantasy Flight redid it, um, and mm. that that you couldn't get that for like seven months. 
in England. It just sold out everywhere. They just did not anticipate mm. the the level of. Well, that's a good problem to have. It's better that than have like shops with gi- giant stacks of of uh, of stuff. And I know they always go a bit over <laughs> on the starter boxes. Like I still see uh, rows of Dark Imperium around, and it's an incredible box. But it's like they always um, produce more than enough for the starter products i think i think it's more these little limited run releases the like repackaged box stuff i think they do limited runs very smartly um but mm-hmm. there's just a hunger out there right now that, that even if they tried to fill it properly and they'll never be able to predict it accurately and, and get the numbers right because they don't yeah they don't really know yeah no i'm no, I mean they've got they've got a team that does it because again they said that at at Warmerfest to us that they've and again they because it was the topic of Loon Curse and they they sort of said that they they mucked up they sort of admitted like ah yeah we we got that wrong you know they sort of you know and I think I agree with them because they did sort of say that most of the time they do get it right you know because yeah. most of the time there's no stock issues it's just the odd thing that they they obviously underestimate the the demand of it and I I suppose all i would all i want is that they just make sure that they communicate it you know it's not you know if you say right you've got a week to get it or this is definitely a limited supply you know if once they're gone they're gone then you know that's fine you know you know where you stand and rightly or wrongly you just either you know you manage to get a hold of one or you don't it's just when the when they're not come across, they're not portrayed as limited run they're just oh here's a new release you're like oh, okay i'll wait till payday and then you can't buy one for love mm-hmm. nor money and it's like oh well yeah. If you'd said something, I would have tried to do something about it, and it's all yeah. you feel like you've lost out. And it's you know, it, it's nothing. They're not doing it deliberately. Don't get me wrong. It's just you like, just, yeah, just just sort that out. <laughs> just get, but, you know, just they'll they'll do it. They'll do it. Yeah, they will. And but I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of surprised now. I think about it. Those apocalypse releases. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do a um like a really good push uh, push fit um, easy build bundle for the two for death guard and marines where it's like it's for apocalypse and it's a hundred pounds or whatever or dollars but you get in it a lot of the easy build stuff like enough to actually have like mm. a full-fledged army so that, i think i would be i think I, that would be more tempting uh for me if i was going to get into apocalypse like oh i can buy this push to fit thing and it, like i can build the army in like a day and then i can spray it and contrast paint it in like a week and have a, a huge army and get it as like a really bulk discounted rate because that's just got to be it's cheaper anyway. So they could bundle it up mm. real mm. cheap. Yeah, I, I suppose it maybe it conf, it conflicts with Dark Imperium box and the other. You know, maybe they just think it's almost too good of a deal. I suppose maybe, they yeah. sometimes have to weigh that up and think, mm. well, okay, if we do that, then people aren't going to go off and buy this because I suppose they're still looking at the the new time person that walks into GW for the first time. Oh, what would you like to play? Oh, here's Warhammer Forty K. Here's Space Marines and Death Guard, and go from mm. there. So, I suppose yeah. they probably try not to tread on their own toes. I imagine. I don't know. But yeah, that would be cool. But you know, I suppose they they've got their limits in there. But we'll yeah. see. You know, I mean, over the next year, few years, I'm sure we'll see some even more drastic things that, or more dramatic things that they do in a good mm. way. So, yeah, we shall see. Um, right. Okay. So we'll cover the last Forty K bit of news which is the primary sergeant jovan um so these are the what this is one of the two uh, anniversary or store anniversary models that are going to be available uh, obviously we'll talk about the AOS one in a minute um 
And yeah, it's well, it's not a lieutenant. Hey, <laughs> it's a sergeant. <laughs> They're uh, getting diverse now. <laughs> uh, what you, what you, you know, Cameron? What are you thinking of this model? Uh, I actually think he looks really cool. Uh, they clearly, clearly, he's he is the bridge between Age of Sigmar and Warhammer Forty Thousand. Uh, he and that uh, liberator with the orc dismembered orc on his base are clearly long lost brothers um (laughs) uh but no i actually really quite like him i like that he is sort of in a relaxed pose like uh he's clearly in like a post-action pose there's a dead orc his chainsaws jammed in it and he's just kind of standing over the body and like not this again kind of looking pose uh and which I really like. I think he's going to be great as like a display piece. I'm not sure he'd fit in so well with a squad because almost every regular 40k miniature is like middle of battle action pose. And then there's this one <laughs> yeah. sergeant who's like, um, a chainsaw's jammed again. Guys, keep firing. Yeah, what? I just got to pull this out. <laughs> Reminds me of the, uh, the old Gimli model where he sat on the two dead Uruk guy mm. having a smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Actually, yeah, it's. I think. So. I think he's actually secretly contemplating the uh, the Gilliman Skaven question. So, oh, who would I rather face? Because um, uh, <laughs> that's the oh, face God. that we all pulled. Yeah, <laughs> an hour an hour ago. <laughs> Although, is he is he the first Primaris model with a chainsword? Now that's um, an interesting question because I don't yeah. think I'd seen a uh, Primaris with a chainsword yet. Because I was like, "Oh, are they getting yeah. like a new a new version, or, or are they just getting a chainsword?" Yeah, because yeah, because right. you could be right. Because I know that the it was the Imperial Fist uh, Christmas Battle Force that had the first Primaris with a power fist. Um. Mm. So yeah, this could be the first chainsword potentially. I think you could be right actually. Yeah, oh, I mean. Still waiting on Primaris Thunderhammers, but you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they'll, they'll, they'll be literally like Gilliman size, aren't they? They'll be absolutely huge. Oh, yeah. They'll be like the like the uh, the heavy two handed ones that you see on other models, mm-hmm. but yeah. Well, I think because because um, they did the new Bolter, like the, the Primaris have the big Bolter. I think I don't know. In yeah. my mind, I was like, oh, they're going to get a new like a complete new range of weapons. But then the the melee weapons have been pretty much the same. Like the power swords are just the same. The exact same length, even yeah. though I have to keep putting them next to each other because I'm like, this looks tiny in this mm. guy's hands. Is it really a power sword? Then I get a <laughs> yeah, guy with a power yeah, sword. I'm yeah. like, oh no, it is a power sword. <laughs> it just looks really windy. Oh man, that actually was that. That reminds me. There was um. So you know, in the in the lead up to Vigilus, they published all those little short stories. Mm. Like they had the. Yeah. So there, there was one which was Reavers fighting Gene Sealer cults uh, in like an abandoned construction zone. Oh, that was and one. at one point, a reaver picked up a piece of rebar with concrete on the end and just went nuts yeah. with it. And I really wanted to get the uh, the improvised weapon from the Gene Stealer Aberrants kit and put that on a Primaris Marine. That would be amazing. And <laughs> a big stop sign with concrete on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was one of those stories that sold me on reavers. I think because I wasn't that keen mm. on reavers, and then I read the story where they like they drop pod in or like they they like. He, they helo drop from orbit and then land yeah. and take like a like a spaceport landing pad and I was like oh my god these guys are bad ass it was so fucking mm. cool yeah, yeah. and then I bought a squad yeah. of readers and I was like I like these guys now yeah and then they're on the shelf <laughs> the power of fluff the power of fluff ladies and gentlemen it's it's strong no it's, oh, yeah. it, that's true because I remember when we um we uh, well I read 
Blood of Ajax to when we had Robbie McNiven on the show. And he, he, you know, I, when I read that novel, that was the similar moment for me. Because I, I think I said to you, Cameron, at the time where Reavers basically have their own little cult you know, within Marines, they're sort of, they, yeah. they separate themselves. They've got their own rituals and, you know, almost like, almost like blood rituals that normal, the rest of the primaris Marines, they're so secular and, you know, have do their own thing compared to the other primaris. They're really like, they almost intimidate other primaris Marines because they're sort of like, they're, they're almost like the odd guys in the corner. <laughs> you sort of like, mm. do you, are, they, are they friendly or not? You know, they, they're so their own thing. And it's sort well, of, they like wear their skull dinner and everyone looks at them really weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Could you pass the ketchup, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's true though. When you, when you actually read the backstories, cause I mean, I know Reavers from the tabletop and not the, um, the, the meta, but you know, but, putting that aside that actually they are a very cool unit but yeah it's odd when it comes to primaris weapons they're still you almost feel like they're playing catch up on them that they've sort of got all these nice new shiny marines and the weapons are quite you know quite limited in comparison to yeah. well especially if you compare yeah. them to like death watch for example mm. where they can yeah. pretty much use anything <laughs> but um yeah so yeah, that's that's the well anyway that's the forty k anniversary <laughs> model that's uh, so the, and what's quite good is they put a PDF on the website on that particular new article on the Warhammer community site. So if you want to see when the anniversary of your particular store is or nearby stores, you can go see it on there. So mm. go check it out. Right, let's go to the mortal realms and see what's going on over there. Right, so the the big thing from an AOS perspective, and I'm definitely sure on this. General's Handbook 2019 is out today, as of today. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, whew, got that one right. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, so obviously that's going to completely change uh, things for, you know, especially if you're into the um, competitive side of things. Um, one thing I think is really cool, which is obviously what they announced at Warhammer Fest, is obviously they've separated the points, which is really cool. So you can basically chuck that away in a year's time, and they've sort of said that themselves, and then obviously you keep the rest of the book for things like battle plans and obviously all the narrative stuff. But the one thing I wanted to talk about was meeting engagements, which is a uh, very cool, well, I think it is anyway, a very cool looking new addition to this. So so meeting engagements basically is the, the, the new game mode that they're sort of, or new option you've got for playing uh, battles of a thousand points in AOS, which, you know, is good for... For, for a lot of us where the you know the thought of actually getting around to getting you know building and painting 2000 points is you know gets us a bit dizzy so a thousand points is a lot more manageable for a lot of us so uh and rather than just being uh you know here you go here's a battle plan it's a thousand points is they've actually changed the dynamic of how it's played and obviously how you build your thousand points as well so what the you know basically in a nutshell you've got a situation where you've got three parts to your army, which is the spearhead, the main body and the rear guard. Uh, so the spearhead, for example, is like, is like the, the advanced force. And that's like zero to one leaders, not to two battle line units, etc., etc. And then you've got the main body, which is obviously comes on, on the, uh, the sort of the second turn as such. And then that's got a combination of leaders, battle line, essentially your behemoths if you got it and then at the end which i think is obviously the turn after that you get the rear guard which is the 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 reserves basically and then you've got again certain limitations and then again on on that a thousand points you've got even more limitations on that like you can't 
uh, you may include no more than two units from the same war scroll. Um, you know, you can only include one sc- war scroll battalion, and only one allied and uh, one end of spell, etc., etc. Um, I think this is really cool because obviously it sounds quite restrictive when you're first hearing it, but I think this is a really cool option because I think, again, putting aside that it makes it more manageable, i.e. to build a thousand points and go to your local shop or tournaments based on this. But the fact it also changes the way you build your army and it'll make you hopefully pick units that are not as meta (laughs) as the, the, you know, the other ones. So, uh, yeah. So what's your, what's your guys thoughts on this? Um, yeah, um, I think it's pretty cool. I kind of really want to see someone go all in on a spearhead and just like, cool, it's a thousand points. My spearhead is just a keeper of secrets. <laughs> How many models can I get on the table with summoning points next turn? Let's see. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Creates good dynamics, I think, or at least mm. op- options that weren't there before. You know, I think. That, oh yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's um, and also that it's a sort of almost like a level playing field as well. You know, in the sense that you've mm. got, you know, your, your opponent's got to do the same. So it's not just a you're not restricted again just by a battle plan. It's the fact you've got to go right. Okay, what is my what is my opponent potentially going to bring in his rear guard? You know, because like like for example, me and my um work colleague were talking about oh wouldn't it be really cool if you threw a load of um vanguard hunt is it vanguard hunters Van- yeah vanguard hunters in yeah. um you know an allied or a stormcast army where they they're busy teleporting around sort of as the rear guard causing loads of problems you know what i mean and they're potentially units mm. you wouldn't pick maybe normally in the conventional you know 2000 point meta so i think I think more, even though it seems like less options, more options are there potentially (laughs) to get those units that you weren't wanting to use before. Yeah, it sounds really cool. I'm always up for different ways to play, and I I definitely like the thousand point over two thousand point thing. And I I kind of, I think the the staggering deployment, I think, is a really nice feature. So it's not like, Mm -hmm. so again, it, it takes away that ability to like. I know it's not as prevalent in AOS, but like the alpha striking that can happen in, in, in bigger point games when everything's on the board at the beginning. Uh, mm. I think taking that away and having it where you have to stagger what comes on and the big meteor stuff comes on later um, and presumably walks on, um, so it starts further back. I think I think that will create a nice um, like game flow like on the table. I'd be quite, mm-hmm. I'd be quite tempted to, to give that a go. It sounds quite fun. Yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like what they're trying to do with it is it becomes a sort of meta in itself, i.e. where, you know, local stores, you know, independent stores and gaming clubs actually adopt it. And again, it's so for people that are quite intimidated by the the 2000 points, you know, full on competitive meta out there, they think, you know know what? No, I'm going to, you know, my local club is doing meeting engagements. I only need to, you know, build a thousand points. Um, I, you know, the, the limits are quite, straightforward you know you can sort of build even though you know you you still got some variation you know what your limits are so you can build around it turn up and and have a hopefully a quicker game than obviously your your standard 2000 points so i it's again i suppose it's this shift we're seeing with gw where i know we're talking about apocalypse but earlier but that's they're trying to, a big game that they're trying to speed up. We've got obviously had things like Kill Team in the last year, which is obviously about, you know, quick lunchtime games and stuff. And this is yet another example of that. And I, could, I think that's great. I think, again, it makes it very friendly for all of us. It's friendly for new people because 
Obviously, they're not intimidated, again, intimidated by these, you know, long drawn out games potentially. And for people that have been in the hobby for a while, you know, it just, it, you know, saves on that time. So you can look at the other models that you still got to get around to painting at some point. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just, it's an accessibility thing. It's like more ways to play than equals more players. It's like, and it's not even about necessarily just accessibility. Like I, I don't have time to play 2,000 point games and paint 2,000 point army. And even if I did, by the time I got around to doing it, the army that I bought to paint to play with, the meta will have changed and it won't be any good anymore. So it's like, yep. it's, it's, it's making that, giving people options to play the game. Like if GW only did, if the two game systems only had like the core competitive game mode, like 2,000 point game, I don't think I'd play ever because I would never have time or the, or the, the will to invest in that big an army and stuff so like the fact that they're doing more of these mini games and like skirmishy games and stuff is 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 so much better and makes so much more sense uh like for gaming mm. clubs and, and leagues and stuff and, and you know people who like are busy and are, like, have full-time jobs and, and whatnot yeah yeah totally agree i think it's and and it also I think it, the fact that it just shows that GW are wanting to go this route, and also the fact that they're trying to make a big deal out of it, which is you know I mean ultimately it's another option. Like I said, it doesn't mean people may look at this and think, nah, not for me. I'll stick to my two thousand points meta. Yeah. And that's cool, you know. Yeah, that's, that's the, but then that's what that's the what the point of this book, and it's nice that it's not just because obviously for in the past because obviously this is I think the fourth general's handbook now and it's obviously they're not looking at it like oh yeah just point up you know point updates and that's obviously some people that's all they care about and that's that's cool as well it's just nice now that they're they're adding extra layers so you you get new battle plans you get new points but oh look at this we've got these new other options and again next year i'm sure it'll be the same and they'll they may tweak meeting engagements you know if they feel like oh you know after a year we we want to you know do some something new to it and then they may add a, yet another game mode to it so you know you definitely get a good good amount of value out of this because i mean the book's only 20 quid anyway so you know it's a it's a decent you know price for what you get with it so yeah happy days it's out now <laughs> go get it if you're interested <laughs> um right so the last little bit of aos news um is something we hinted at earlier which is obviously when we we're talking about the Primaris Sergeant, um, obviously they've done a Stormcast, um, and she goes by the name of Knight Questor Larissa Shadowstalker. Whoa, mm-hmm. that's a name and a half. Um, <laughs> I think she's great. To be honest, that's how I'm going to yeah. kick it off. I think she's, I think she's the better of the two models. To be fair, I think she was oh awesome. yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, she's in like this such a. I love this range of um, female Stormcast heroes, like. They're all mm. 10 out of 10 awesome. Like, they look so good. And, like, this one, I love how they've gone full. Like, she's, like, got the big glaive, and she's, like, doing the, like, the sort of gesture, like, come over here and let me fuck you up. Like, I love the <laughs> I love the posturing of it. And, yeah, I'm, I'm so down for these. these. I kind of, I'm at the point where I've got a big Stormcast, like, force. But I'm like, oh, I kind of just want to do a new one of all women and just have this like badass looking Valkyrie oh, yeah. army <laughs> yeah. in like white armor and just looking looking like this legion of awesome warrior women because there's so many good <laughs> heroes now. Yeah, mm. yeah, and, and it's it's and, also, and I suppose as well you've got the option that obviously most of the Stormcast kits or a lot of them you know come or some of the new ones anyway where they're obviously half half male and female so you, and obviously you've got the female forge world heads as well so um and obviously uh third party ones if you're 
feeling a bit risque um you know yeah i mean it's it's a thing you know and i think and again I, I, we've said it on the show before it's great when they're pushing things like that where you know what is it here's a new character yeah she's a female stormcast like like there's no mm. it's not a thing well for me anyway it feels like it's not even a thing anymore when it comes to it it's just you know whereas i know when it comes to obviously the 40k side and the whole thing about female marines and all that drama that comes with it at least you know with the stormcast like Every you know, and we see it in the novels, we see it in the models. You know, you you pretty much got a fifty fifty split, which is you know great. You know, it's not just all you know, it's not a male dominated force mm. all the time. It's like yeah, here's the new one. She's female. She kicks ass. Worth yeah. it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's super good. Uh, it was um, like when they first did it, it was like this. It kind of came as a surprise, a nice one, and it was a shock. But now it's like like I say, it just feels like the norm, and it's so it's so cool to see. Uh, mm, it's really nice refreshing. that they they do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and I think she's, it's one that, luckily, it's one of those sort of models that even if you don't have any Stormcast, you know, she's got a, p- a lot of conversion potential, kit bashing mm. potential. Yeah, she's absolutely. just a damn good model. <laughs> I think, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm hoping that you'll think of some ideas with her, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Although I live, I live well, somewhere we'll where, there isn't, uh, where there isn't a shop. So it's like, I'm kind of hoping at some point they release all those um, female Stormcast heroes that they've done as like a mm. box, like a box of heroes. Yeah, that'd be be cool. Definitely. Cool. Okay, well, we'll just do the last little couple of bits of news before we have our first break. So, uh, sort of in the other section, obviously, we've mentioned it a few times. Contrast is now out. Uh, It's now a thing. Um, And, you know, I I experimented with it. Warhammer Fest, but I haven't got it yet. Uh, Cameron, obviously, you've been having a great Mm -hmm. time with it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <a> fantastic time. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so what you what you you know what you thinking of it so far? Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. Um, so you've heard of wet blending? Get ready for the cool new technique all the bad painting kids will use, like me, which is dry blending. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is these paints are sort of transparent enough that I can do blending without having to bother about actually trying to blend the paints together. I can just put one down and then later on put another one over the top and feather it until it looks like kind of like neatly gradiented. And yeah, they're a lot of fun. Uh, I mentioned I'm doing an Alpha Le- an Alpha Legion kill team. I've been doing uh, my test model for that with contrast over lead belcher. And i got to say, it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> they are. Uh, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just having a lot of fun experimenting with weird color combinations and that kind of thing as well. Like, I've done I've done lots lots of tests painting, like, Skaven I'm pulling out of my back cupboard, mostly. Because um, <laughs> I've got some old Isle of Blood Skaven left, left, left back oh, there wow. that need paint. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, uh, but they're finally getting a lick of paint, and they're glad for it. They are, believe me. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, like, it's easy to apply. Uh, you gotta practice with it first, obviously, because mm. it flows very differently to standard thinned down paint and a bit differently to a wash. Um, but once you kind of get the hang of it, it's quite easy to move around. Uh, most, most of the colors I've used so far stain really nicely as well. So if you want to just put a glob on, then move most of it off, you've still got a decent layer of color down on that area. Uh, and yeah, because they're transparent, you can lo- you can lay them over each other, get these interesting color combinations. Uh, occasionally, accidentally, <laughs> like when I put blue over yellow and accidentally made a really nice green. Uh, I was trying to just do blue armor and yellow cloth next to it, but that didn't work. 
clearly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, overall they're pretty satisfying to use. I need to get the um, the gloss varnish. <laughs> oh yeah, just to, just to brighten this armor up a little. But apart from that, they're great fun to use. Mm. Uh, I already I'm already thinking of going and getting about five more colors out of, <laughs> on top of like the eight or so I already picked up. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mm. And uh, Stephen, you're still waiting to get on that train at some point, aren't you? I think that's what you said earlier. Yeah, I've got. I'm trying not to, but because th- these contrast paints are just an excuse <laughs> for me to buy models that I don't have, or that for armies that I don't mm. have. And it's like I really, I lot, I saw Tyler Mangle's tutorial on how he did oh. um, the Sylvaneth, mm. and I've wanted Sylvaneth forever. Yes, and watching that, I was like, okay, now I now I have to buy Sylvaneth. Um, <laughs> and I also really want to do an Eandon army because I've always wanted to do Eandon but never wanted to paint yellow because mm. I'm a coward. Um, yeah. But now, <laughs> now you now you have no problems. I know. Yeah, now, no excuses. <laughs> so what I'm probably going to do to just curb my own spending is buy the Sylvaneth um, uh, Shades by a Warband and buy and and do myself an Eandon kill team. So I'm I'm big on kill team at the moment mm. and sort mm-hmm. of do do both. Uh, play with contrast with those, get get them styled, and then um, hopefully expand once I've had a play. Um, but I'm really excited to try them. Like, they look amazing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like like I said, I think some people have, have loved it. Some people are sort of not getting frustrated with them. I think it's just, like Cameron said, it's just you've got to change how you paint when you use them. They're not just a, you know, they're, they are easy, but they're not at the same time. So I think there, there is, like I said, there is a lot of learning that goes into it, but once you nail it, then like I said, yeah, it's like any new, like any new paint, you've got to learn how best to use it. Like, you know, if you don't use uh, shading shades, right, it will not look good. And you've got to understand mm. how they work and yeah. how they flow and stuff. Um, I did see someone's on Instagram, I have Instagram basically to to look at people's miniature painting. That's the only reason I use it. But <laughs> someone did a someone did a Chrome Blood Angel squad, and I almost died. How good they look! Like they just looked. I think using the similar technique to what you're using, Cameron, with the whole over a over a mm. metallic paint as a base, and then putting the the Blood Angel red over it. But my word, mm. oh boy. Did it look good? <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's early days yet. In you know, as the weeks and months go on, people are going to discover new things that people haven't tried yet. And this is the beauty of it. You know, we're going to see it on Twitter, we're going to see it on Instagram, and and everything else. So yeah, this is just you know early days, and it's yeah. going to get even better from this. And obviously, they're going to add more colours, no doubt. You know, in X amount of time as well. So yeah, it's all I think, very exciting. Uh, I think next year's Golden Demon is going to be insane. I think we will see. <laughs> yeah, I will probably yeah. see some of the best paint miniatures that we'd ever ever seen. I think next year. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and obviously, the last little bit of news which ties into that is obviously they've updated the Citadel app to take that into account. So obviously, if you have uh, never used the app or haven't updated it, it's now it basically incorporates obviously all the new contrast paints. They've obviously added uh, for not all not all miniatures, but some a lot of them where you've got the classic technique, which is obviously now the way it's known, um, and obviously the contrast technique, and then you've got like battle ready, and then is it no it's t- is it battle ready and mm. tabletop ready? Yeah. Or something? There's not there's something like these. I diff- think they call it battle ready. Uh, 
and something like that. Yeah, it's, it's where you can, like, here's the one to get it on the tabletop, and then if you wanted to add these paints and do this bit to it, then it would make it, you know, an extra little bit more detail and things like that. And, like, there's a section where you can plan your projects in there as well. You can sort of save projects mm. and colour schemes and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you know, good. <laughs> it's, you know, it's another great little tool that they've got it out there. So, you know, staying on on the, on the that old... Uh, tech bandwagon so yeah no already exciting so um right okay well we'll take our first break <laughs> after all that <laughs> covered quite a bit actually and uh so yeah so we'll have a first break uh and when we return we're going to talk about gilliman and his 99 problems back soon yeah hello and welcome back time for our, our main law topic something very exciting uh, personally picked by our guest Stephen a while back, we are as discussed. We're going to be talking about the 40k novel Dark Imperium Plague War, which is the second one in the uh, pr- the proposed trilogy. Supposedly, is the third book coming out as well. Mm. So, um, obviously, we'll you know dive into some very spoiler things. So, as always, Realm and Ruin spoiler. Boo boo boo! From this time onwards, okay. So you've been warned. Um, Cameron, can you do a spoiler noise for me, please? Okay, okay, right. I, I don't know. I'm feeling that, it. That feels about right to me. Not sure why. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting late for you, mate. I, I understand. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Stephen, have you got a um, spoiler sound? Uh, that was it. That was the spoiler sound. Okay, right, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So you've been you've been, you've been warned by all three of us that that uh, we're gonna be talking about spoilerish stuff. So um yeah. Um as you know, the professional in all of us, Stephen, he has actually got a copy of the book in front of him, whereas mm. <laughs> me and Cameron don't. Um Stephen, would you kindly read out the back of the book, please? Certainly, let me just <clears throat> In the void and upon the worlds of Greater Ultramar, the battle for the Imperium continues. Intent on rebuilding his home realm and using it as a base to reconstruct the ravaged stellar empire of mankind, the returned Primarch, Rabute Gilliman, proceeds with his war to drive Mortarion and his Death Guard traitor legion from the domain of the Ultramarines. But when Gilliman brings his brother to battle upon the diseased plains of Parmenio, the intervention of a greater power in their fraternal struggle threatens to upend the Imperial Regent's understanding of the galaxy and his place within it. Primarchs and ideologies clash in the second thrilling part of the Dark Imperium trilogy. <laughs> nice that they put that little uh, cinema thing at the end. <laughs> I know, I kind of wanted to... Part two. <laughs> I kind of wanted to like, have the Star Wars rolling credit theme play as well. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you very much, Stephen, for that. Um, so yeah, as as it says, this is the the second one of the trilogy. So, um, I I I'd say that you could probably get away potentially with not have read the first one or maybe have read a summary somewhere. You know, there is a few characters that make obviously uh, a second appearance, but I would say the first book is more of an overview of the current forty k mm. situation. Um, if you're not familiar with that, um, I just just go and Google it. <laughs> to be honest, and we had, and to be fair, we did touch upon it in one of our earlier episodes. I think around sort of episode three or four, we mm. spoke about the the Great Rift and and where things are in general. So as long as you know what what Primaris Marines are. 
who Belisarius Call is, who Gilliman is, you will probably get the gist of what's going on in this sort of situation. So, um, right. So, as always, I'll start with you, Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of this novel? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, which mm. seems to be the thing I say almost all the time, which I'm not sure if that's a <laughs> testament to Black Library's quality or my enjoyment of Warhammer 40k fiction in general. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it was really good. Uh, I just finished rereading it about 20 minutes before we started recording. Uh, <laughs> nice. Because I'm so on top of things this week. Um, I forgot how like wide-ranging this book was. Like We have everything from full-out space battles, all the way down to, like, infantry, trench warfare, and, like, everything in between, including, like, Titan battle. Like, there's this, there's this whole big section I completely forgot about that is, like, Titans doing Titan combat stuff. I'm like, this was in this, was in this book? What? Um, <laughs> but I think, and I'm pretty sure uh, Red Shadow on our Discord has often talked about this, like, the soul of this book lies in, like, the, the spiritual and philosophical questionings it sort of gets into about is the emperor a god is it right to worship the emperor all that kind of stuff and like in particular those kind of questions being pushed on Gilliman and his reaction to them because uh whereas Dark Imperium was more like here's Primaris Marines and here's the Death Guard and get to know the new units (laughs) everyone um this this book is much more hey so Gilliman's Gilliman's got it pretty rough uh this is just this is just how rough it is. Um, so there's a lot of really really great Gilliman stuff. Um, however, stealing the show for like the second book in a row, it's Kugath Plague Father, the world's saddest great unclean <laughs> one. I cannot get enough of this guy. I love this guy so much. God, it's like <clears throat> he's brewing he's brewing his brews. He's doing his pox nonsense, uh, and you know all the nurglings are happy and he. He sees the one sad Nurgle, and that's just like looking into the cauldron and being all morose and stuff. He's like, "Yeah, he understands. He knows. He knows what I did. He doesn't want to do it himself. I'll save you from that." And he eats the Nurgling. Like, mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. what was <is> it? <laughs> what was it? Uh, the 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 best line in this book is "Misery loves company," and he was utterly alone. <laughs> because <laughs> everyone else is having a wonderful time doing Nur- Nurgle's uh, work and he's just old stick in the mud big great unclean one living in a hospital <laughs> oh it's so good <laughs> no I'd, I'd agree with all that really you're right actually it's you know if you compare if you look at the first one as like a, like I said a very general overview of what's happening with like say with Gilliman with Primaris this one definitely delves in a lot deeper and I would sort of confidently say you've got obviously your bits of action which you know is cool you know your usual stuff but then the real interesting stuff is the thing you know is the interactions between like Gilliman and and uh, Matthew and and like I said how they all interact with each other the line said especially the philosophical side of it as well so no Mm. I definitely agree with that um what was your views on it uh Stephen as a book in general yeah no I agree with um what you guys saying? I do disagree a little bit with what you said at the beginning. I think you have to have read the first one to get the most okay. out of this one. I think I think the first mm-hmm. one does a lot of that heavy lifting. It's a bit like it's a bit like New Hope to the Empire Strikes Back. I think if you haven't if you haven't already established those connections with those core characters, it's like I feel like you'll. I mean, you can read this one for sure without reading the first one, but I think you miss a lot if if you did. 
Um, mm. I think it yeah. definitely feels like a part two, um, especially on how it expands with Gilliman. Like the first one, like you say, it's very much about him coming to terms with his new reality and the new situation. And this one definitely feels like more of a he's taking he's taking onus, he's taking control, he's trying to like he's trying to fix things and he's trying to um, correct mistakes and deal with the problems. Uh, while at the same time dealing with a bunch of people who don't see the problems and who think it's fine, and he's kind of trying to toe that line. I really like the philosophical stuff between him and uh, Mm. Matthew. I will say Matthew has the biggest balls in the Imperium. Uh, (laughs) Like, that guy, that guy is like, wow, he is, he is a firm believer in what he, what he's into, because my god, does he, does he talk back, does he give the Primarchs some stick? I'm like, wow. (laughs) Balls on that man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love their exchanges. I love how, like... I also love how uh, Gilliman has to, like, stop the custodian guy from just murdering Matthew at about mm. 14 different <laughs> occasions. So he, like, says yeah. something, and the, and the custodian steps forward, and he's like, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> you can say that to me, it's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, uh, um, like you say, Cameron, I like how it it's way more expansive than the first one like it has like mm. like it has that down-to-earth trench warfare it has the tie-ins it has the the space conflict but like, i really like the stuff on the um the big space station the the massive mm. war fortress thing yeah. where they're flying to the planet and uh, like when um what's his face typhon tries to is it typhon or typhus typhus now right typhus yeah typhus tries to uh, take it over and and like the interactions between the Primaris and the different groups on there was really cool. I really liked the book. I thought it was yeah. I thought it was a great forty k. It had everything. It had all the different elements mm. that I want from a forty k book. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. I think as well is that it obviously the the one thing I think it, to me it overcomes is the fact that obviously it's part of a tie in to obviously the new forty k and obviously the the you know, the box set release of Dark Imperium a few years ago. And obviously the problem is with when you're tying your novels to stuff, they can obviously get that stigma where they're just a, like some, you know, like a, it's like a, you know, like a movie tie-in or a game tie-in, something that doesn't mm. really shouldn't be there. But yeah. I think it get like I said, it gets over that because, you know, Dark Imperium, the first novel is a solid novel. And this one to me, I think is even better. And like you said, because it delves into these nitty gritty details that all these, like I said, these ideologies and, and ideas that, that you wouldn't have, you know, you'd see hints at in the first one, but obviously now you're definitely sort of into the, you know, the sort of the meat of it now as well. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I was going to sort of say, let's actually talk about, um, let's talk about the Primaris Nova Marine situation. Cause that's, I thought was something that was quite, quite interesting. So, you know, for the, in the first one, obviously we, we learn about Primaris and obviously how they make up and uh, we learn about the unnumbered sons at the, at the end of the Indominus crusade. And obviously these Primaris Marines are basically being handed out to, to all the various chapters. Um, and that's obviously like in, in this, in this sort of sequel, we see obviously um, just, uh, what's the name? Justinian? Just, mm. uh, I think that's his name. Yeah, Justinian. <laughs> Justinian um, is uh, drafted to the Nova Marines, which is obviously one of the Ultramarine successors. And it's, 
you know, what you would think in this sort of, you know, day and age of 40k is, you know, it's like joining a new job. Here you go. Here's the new guy. And you just, you know, you just muck in and, you know, as, as, as you would see, but it's not, as we see in this novel, it's not as easy as that, is it? it we, we see the side where on both sides, really, where Justinian is sort of looked at with a slight bit of contempt in the sense that obviously they're questioning, you know, the normal, you know, your bog standard uh, Marines are basically questioning Primaris Marines. Like, you know, what's, what are they all about? You know, are they come in to, you know, basically take over from us. Um, and obviously from the Primaris side, they're obviously like they, you know, he's not used to their rituals, their doctrines, their, you know, their brother, com- you know, as compatriots, you know, he, 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 he clearly comes across as the odd one out or at least he feels it <laughs> and uh yeah. and it's i thought that was quite interesting anyway it's really interesting i really like when i mean it's i really like when they delve into the um the sort of traditions and rituals of the different chapters and how they are so very different and how they kind of don't trust outsiders even though they're all fighting for the same thing and i think i think this book does a really good job of showing that from like an outsider's perspective and how that like all the Nova Marines, a lot of their rituals and sort of kinship with each other comes from their home world. And like, well, he's like, well, I've never, he gets frustrated. Cause he's like, well, I've never fucking been to your home world. Like, why would I have no idea what it's like or what it's about? And you <laughs> saying all this means nothing to me. It's like, you know, and I kind of felt for him. And I really like it when they show characters as powerful as space Marines, having these vulnerabilities, like these deep rooted, emotional insecurities about who they are and what mm. their purpose is it, it, it shows a different side to them because a lot of the um i think maybe the older fiction perhaps um marines are like these untouchable ridiculous godly figures who are scared of nothing fear nothing they they don't struggle with anything they just find a problem and they fix it and they find a solution and they just roll on with it you know but i feel like in this new this new day and age that they're exploring more about like who they are as like individuals and like what they what their struggles are, even though like their 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 transhumanism and like their superhuman and and all these things that they have, it's like they still have problems even within themselves. And I think it's really it's really interesting when it delves into that. And I thought this Nova Marine one was a really I think it's one of the better times they've done it actually. I think it's a really mm. a really good take mm. on it. And it has a great redemption arc yeah. at the end as well when he finally does sort of like in the midst of battle he sort of accepts them and they accept him and then yeah, I yeah. thought that was really nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because you, it, it always feels like in some of the the other parts of the law and, and other novels that that space marines just click together, don't they? Like they just mm. like you know they come along and here you go, and there's there's no real like everyone just gets along and then they become battle brothers, which it does to a degree, but you don't like you said you don't often see the actual that that friction, um, and 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 I suppose it, it's it shows them, like I said, like you sort of hinted at that, that, that there is this human side to them at the end of the day, that they like, like us, if you, you know, if you say you got a new job elsewhere and you were, you know, very hyped up, you know, you're the new big thing that's going to come in with big ideas and shake the place up. You're going to have that friction often in places. Mm. The new, you know, the people that already work there are going to go, is the new guy thinking he's it. And then you as the new guy, you're going to be a bit, you know, a bit cagey, aren't you, when you go in? Because you, you're going to, you know, the spotlight's almost on you. And it's and it's weird, like you said, when you're talking about these huge, you know, uh, Marines in power armour, you know, almost unkillable machines, and they sort of still <laughs> suffer with that thing. But that's 
what makes them human. And again, it's something we see with when we talk about Gilliman in a bit, you know, again, you see his human traits. And I think that's obviously something that Guy Haley was obviously really trying to get across. Um, because I think it, it feels as part of this new era of 40k, this dark Imperium, the, the great rift that they're trying to, they are trying to humanize a lot of the Imperium mm-hmm. uh, in both good and bad ways, <laughs> that is in the, how despicable humans can be, but also obviously, you know, the good side as well. Yeah. What did you sure. sort of think about it, Cameron? Pardon? I said, what do you think about it, Cameron? Um, sorry, my brain just <laughs> <laughs> it's late for you, I know. Whoa, I know. Whoa. Switch flipped. <laughs> what are we talking about? Primaris Marines integrating into normal Marine chapters? Or is that the last time that's my right. brain saved? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Just reboot, reboot yourself, Cameron. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, was, I was quite fond of the Justinian arc in the book, I do have to say. Uh, not only because it had the coolest scene, I think, in the book, which was the Death Guard using those big palisades to, like, push forward into melee range, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I referenced that when I started building my 20 melee plague marines, like, yeah, that's the idea I'm looking for. I'm like, oh, that was 20, that was 20 melee plague marines ago. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but I, I did really quite like that. Um, that arc of all this, not necessarily distrust, but just like alienation and isolation and the description of the primaris experience in that for 8000 years he woke up once every couple of centuries for 15 to 30 minutes was tested and then was immediately put back to sleep and from his point of view it's like i woke up i did this i fell asleep i woke up i did this i fell asleep for like a year or two from his perspective and then he <laughs> actually comes out for service like oh it's been 8000 years everyone i know is dead <laughs> And then, you know, he spends a hundred years crusading and he builds up this really strong brotherhood with this diverse group of people. And then they get split up to all the different corners of the galaxy. And there was, again, really interesting stuff with that. Like, um, what was his name? Bjarni, the, uh, the space wolf from his squad, who was like, mm. yeah, I'm going to go see Fenris. I'll see my home world again. And there's like, nah, you're never going to Fenris again. <laughs> you're going to go die in the middle of the rift, uh, defending a world. <laughs> Because we finally yeah, made a stable it, space wall successor. No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Justinian's in the same position, really, because he's, he's obviously wanting to be an ultramarine. And he's like, yeah, you know, we're getting, waiting for that pass. Yeah, you're going to be a Nova Marine. And it's like, mm. no. And he's like, and it's a shame, really, because obviously there's nothing wrong with the Nova Marines. It's just obviously, it feels like obviously a step down for, for obviously what he was wanting. And, mm. and obviously he's then obviously, uh, and I, I, I just sort of foresee that, not that you sort of see it, but the, he's probably, and he knows what the ultramarines are about he know you know he's almost like done his research you know it's almost like you know it's that job you you're trying to you know um interview for where you think you've got it in the bag and you're like yep yeah, i see it i know what's going to happen and then obviously like eh, no it's not going to happen and you've got to go <laughs> somewhere else and learn their thing because obviously we we do see how the nova marines work um like it sort of shows that they they they, they use their combat to think you know that's how that's almost their thinking time is while they're uh you know killing their enemies and they're quite a quite a you know quite a stony hard you know, chapter compared to some of the others, but then, uh, remember they, they have this thing about tattoos and obviously showing yes. the stories off of what they've been involved in. So, um, and, it, and I think even on a basic level, it's nice to actually 
reading about a chapter which is not always in the mainstream. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're always a, a known chapter, but they're not obviously one of the, one of the big sort of main main ones. So it's always good to to hear about that as well. So no, it's it, I think it's great. I think the primary side is really really strong in this, and and also it's it's nice in the comparison to the first novel where. It, you know, where, like you said earlier, it's setting the scene. You're finding out about how they're made. You're hearing about Belisarius' call and the fact they've been ice for thousands of years. And now you're seeing this sort of, these flaws in them, but actually human flaws as opposed to the, you know, physical mm. flaws that yeah. aren't there really. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. Right. Okay. Um, let's move on to, let's move on to Gilliman. Is he's always a great topic. Now, now, there's obviously it's quite a known fact that you know that Gilliman, Gilliman has always had a bit of a a funny reputation for people out there that he's obviously known as you know boring Gilliman, you know, and and obviously there's obviously some people that think otherwise, especially if you're an Ultramarines fan. But I must admit, I'm loving him more and more when I read about him in these novels. I think he's the character that he should be really um i think that you know like we've hinted earlier he's got the weight literally the weight of the universe on his (laughs) shoulders you know he's he's been a you know he's been frozen or you know been on ice obviously while recovering from his wound for for years and then he's now woken up in this mental universe with with Mm. crazy things going on and he's got literally got to do it on behalf of the whole imperium and you know, in, and he's lonely. So, yeah. I mean, how did how did you, uh, Steve? How did you feel he came across in this novel? I love him in this. I mean, I loved him in the other novel, but I love him more in this novel. Like they keep building on his character. I feel like he's got so many different layers now. Like there's so much to him. He has so many different things going on in his head. It's it's it, he's such an interesting character. And like like you say, yeah, it's like. I love the I love the different elements of it. I love the fact that he's, you know, he's been asleep for like eight thousand years and woke up and now suddenly he's mayor of Crazy Town. And no, he didn't want that, <laughs> you know. And also, everyone in Crazy Town is religious, which is something that he also doesn't like. So he's got to tackle that. And I love his dynamic with the politics of the forty k universe and the different organizations that control it and run it, and how he handles that because. You know, he has all these different, all these different worries and concerns. You know, he's angry because he, like, he's angry for a lot of reasons, and all of them are right. But like, you know, he's, 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 his brother, his once brother, is like trying to fuck up his realm, and he's trying to like stop him, and he just wants to confront him and like just sort this out because he knows that you know that he's got to at some point, even though he doesn't really want to. You know, it's like it's, it's a painful thing for him. It's like dragging up terrible things that happened in the past, uh, but he knows he's got to do it for the betterment of the Imperium. But then also at the same time, I think he kind of feels negatively and begrudges the Imperium this this gift that they've been given of him because he doesn't feel like it's deserving because this this utopian ideal that that the Emperor had for the Imperium just does not exist. And I think he's realised by this book that it's never going to exist. I mean, it's just not a possibility, and he has to kind of make do with what he's got. Um, mm. But I feel like I could talk about this character all day, because there's so many different <laughs> like components to what made him up. Like, I loved his stuff with um, 
was the saint character, like the sort of living saint embodiment that that comes in towards the end of the book and how he how he interprets that and how he sees it and and obviously his relationship with Matthew um, and the rogue <laughs> trader. Is she a rogue trader? The rogue trader that he knows. Yeah, the girl. yeah. I love their yeah. interaction as well. I thought that was really cool. Like you know, he clearly mm. has he has allies and he has people that he sort of can turn to who aren't people who revere him. And I think that for him is a big thing. It's like he needs people that don't see him as this walking embodiment of God and that they mm. see him as just yeah. a guy doing a job. And I, I like those interactions. Mm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, he, he I suppose he, he's he's different to different people, and and like I sort of hinted earlier, he's, he is lonely. He's like you know he's the apart from obviously the the evil brothers on the chaos side, he's by himself. There's no other Primarch that he can turn to or converse with or get a second opinion from. It's basically him and all you know probably in his head, all these idiots under him, not, you know, not literally all of them. Cause there's some mm. of them he obviously does have a share and understanding with, but for most of them, he's thinking, what has become of the Imperium? What have I got to deal with? It's like, it's trying to steer a ship that's destined to crash. It may not crash now. It will just probably crash in a bit later. And you're just trying to, he's trying to almost, I suppose, trying to crash it with the dignity. When it does crash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to crash uh, ship with, with dignity. <laughs> exactly with his with his noble chin held high. You know, well, that's the thing. That's, that's what, what I love trying. about him is that he can't ever show. He can't ever let the veneer crack when he's when he's doing his job. I feel like whenever I feel like his character is two different people. One of it, he's like he's steering the ship, he's leading the people, he's being the the primarch, the the regent of the Imperium. And then when he's on his own in a room, I think he just puts his hand in his head and just goes oh for like <laughs> hours at a time. <laughs> because <laughs> everyone's looking at him yeah. for the answers and he doesn't mm. have any and he's just like fuck fuck all of this <laughs> i think slightly it's, he does have the answers but he doesn't have but he's contesting but people that don't agree with the answer as well mm. i think that's the if i think that's and that's where obviously especially when he's battling the sort of the religious side of the imperium as well that's as you said as you said that's his biggest probably the biggest thing he's got to deal with and i suppose it's it's insult to injury he's there like i said he's he's got all this pressure on him he's dealing with you know with demonic primarchs and great unclean ones that are literally trying to you know pull ultramar into the <laughs> the garden of nurgle and he's like and i've got to deal with you guys as well at the same time it's just like <laughs> yeah he's fighting, and just... he's fighting a war like a philosophical war on like multiple fronts and i yeah. also feel like he's undergunned as well like even though he's a primarch and even though he's wielding the emperor's sword um i feel like he's kind of outmatched in this book which i really like like they made him feel not all powerful. I was constantly at the end. I mean, I knew they're not going to kill him, but I was constantly like, oh shit, he's like, he's definitely in danger here. Like, you know, he's on a battlefield mm-hmm. with Titans and like this, this space station is going to turn up and basically orbital bombard the planet. And I'm like, he's not going to survive that. He has to win this. <laughs> and it, it kind of, it showed that sign of it because Mortarion in this book feels immortal. He feels unkillable yeah. and mm-hmm. immortal. And I felt like mm-hmm. Gilliman didn't. And I kind of liked that. Mm. Right. Yeah. Mortarion feels like he's cheating in every scene that he's yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, I suppose that ties in with the fact that that prior to the Primaris Marines that 
and the, one of the reasons obviously they exist is the fact that the Imperium is on a slippery slope, you know, to, to where, like, is, as time goes on, it is going to lose to chaos because just because it's waning and obviously the Primaris have come in, um, to obviously, you know, to help with that. And then obviously, so that, um, that scale tips slightly back in their favor. But like you said, because, you know, because Gilliman comes across as, you know, he could still die and, Obviously, people, you know, like like Motarian are, like I said, immortal. It sort of, it still feels like that, regardless of that Primaris, it's still tipped right back to where it was <laughs> prior to the Primaris. It's not really made a difference to the great, the greater plan of it all. Um, but I, I, I think he's he's one of those characters where he he every, especially in these novels, he he steals every scene like he should do. To be mm. fair, because of who he is and and what he is, it's just that I think that almost. He's one of those characters where almost everything he says, I find I, I, I really absorb what he says. I feel like everything he says is, is of significance. Whereas some characters, not necessarily this novel, but in other novels as well, is where just there's almost like their filler, you know, where it, which is necessary. I'm mean, again, it's not a criticism, but I think with Gilliman, he, you know, he's not in every, he's not in every chapter. He's in, you know, he's, he comes in and out like a lot of characters, but everyone he's in, he, he's making a statement. You're like, right, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? Um, and obviously, especially <laughs> one of the final things he ends, you know, the, the, uh, the, the beat down, the verbal beat down he gives to Matthew. Mm. Oh, <laughs> is, so I good. Think, probably my favorite thing so in good. the whole novel. What a long time coming about that was, Oh, there was, there was that bit where Matthew was like thinking is like, doesn't the scripture say that Gilliman was like bland and like he was smart, but he didn't really feel anything. He's just kind of this bland person. And then Gilliman's like yelling his face off at him. <laughs> and I had the thought of <laughs> the only script which would describe Gilliman would be like the Lecticio Divinitatis, right? So did Lorgar in the holy book go, Gilliman is boring. That's all you need to know about him. <laughs> <laughs> that became church doctrine. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's always seen as that calculating tactical figure with no emotion, and then it's like, but he, but that's like on the surface, that's what he, that was his role in the Imperium, right? And the Great Crusade, mm. he was like the logistical, the tactical guy. So it, it always like shied away from his humanity, but then he's still a person. He still has emotions, and he still expresses them. Um, mm. And obviously, because of the Primarch, his expressions of them are ramped up to eleven, like everything. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a testament yeah. to Guy Haley that he wrote the character so well. Because, like you say, like yeah. every scene he's in, he steals, and everything he says feels like it carries weight. And like I'd be intimidated yeah. to write a book like with starring a Primarch. And I think mm. I think he nails the feel of. But I think Miltarian as well. I think he nails that morose. Mm cynicism that that plagues Mortarion as well. Like, I think he really does capture the essence of who these characters are and what their place is in in the universe. I think it's a really it's a really well written book. And like the comic relief mm. of Kugath and all that stuff. I love that as well. Like he's mm. such a good character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it is a good balance between them all really. And I think that you're right. I think writing a Primarch it must be so difficult because I suppose because we put them on a pedestal. You know, it's, for most of us that have been in this hobby and the background of 40k for many years, and especially as children, um, you know, I, I remember 
ages ago on on this show. I, I I'm, I'm the fact of that you can actually hold a Primark model. Like you know, when I used to play the tabletop mm. as a yeah. kid, I was like, you know, Primarks. You, I can't imagine the, the, the thought of ever owning a Primark, and you can actually use them on the, on the game and it's yeah. almost the same but in novel form where you're thinking wow no they're 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 different level it's, it'd be like the emperor coming back i mean mm. if that ever happened if they decided to resurrect him uh, how like where where would you even start with that <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's wild just, it's utterly wild and like, i saw the um i saw that i've never actually seen them in person before and when i was at warham world there i went and looked at the cabinets and they had Mortarian and and uh, magnus the red and they are massive mm. And oh, I had no huge. idea yeah. how huge they were because I've only ever seen pictures and painted images. So I was like, you know, you can't really tell a sense of scale. But then I own Gilliman and he's, you know, he's big, mm. but he's not massive. He's like, you know, a mini dreadnought, I guess. But then seeing those two and I was like, <laughs> holy Christ, they are huge. But, yeah, they're like knights oh, yeah. almost, aren't they? Oh, <laughs> they're yeah. They're like, they're enormous. But then it's, but then it's uh, like it says in the book, Mortarian is about 30, 30 feet tall. Yeah. which you don't actually realize you know like i think in in, in your head because obviously of if you especially if you've read any horse heresy where you know that obviously primarchs are even bigger than normal marines but they're still what you know capping out at like probably 10 foot feet tall but then now that mortarian is a demon primarch you don't re- you know in your head you think oh he's you know he's a bit bulkier but like no, no he's actually literally like three times the size of a of of gulliman and and, and such and it's the thought of that is just crazy, but it, you know, it comes across. Um, I mean, just, just switching back to, um, the, uh, the Matthew rant that he goes through at the end. The one thing I did appreciate with it, and, and it's probably because I was lucky to have done the audio book of it. It honestly, it comes across so well in audio, you know, obviously reading it, you know, I imagine must be really good, but in the audio where, you know, he's absolutely like telling him off like, like a naughty school <laughs> child for what he's been up to is, is, uh, it, it's as good as it, as you think it's going to be when yeah. you listen to the, the audio. Book of it, right? Yeah. It's we should, just, we should, we know, should, you, we should talk about that bit though. Like what he actually yeah, does because no. it's, it's properly yeah, it. like, like they, I mean, I, I'm going to butcher it and sort of, I'm paraphrasing because it's been a couple of months since I read it, but like they have this saint character on the planet and, the like Gilliman is like detain her she could be like a rogue psyker she could like just blow up and kill everyone like you know mm. the whereas the religious people are like she's a saint she saved the city which admittedly she does do um she like goes out onto the battlefield and stops the, the death guard advance um but they're like we should you know she's a she's a living saint she's an embodiment of the emperor's will he's come to save us we need to like put her out there and Gilliman's like no she could explode and kill everyone we don't know what she is and then <laughs> matthew just convinces some random like an imperial guardsman or like a sergeant or something to just like that like the sisters of battle come and collect her and, and like torture her in essence to sort of try and see if she's a witch and then they detain her which was also cool to have some random sisters characters in because they were badass and then, mm-hmm. and then this priest, like, well, it's not even a priest. He's like the head orator for the Imperium at Gilliman's side. I don't know what his official title is, but he's basically like the, the mouthpiece for Gilliman in, mm. in, on religious affairs. And he just yeah. decides that he's going to break this, this crazy girl out of jail, killing her guards and take her out to the front lines. Cause that's where she has to be. And so he does this and like, the guardsmen like they they kill sisters of battle and they like they they shoot loyalists 
to get her out and then they take her and yeah and then Gilliman's pissed and rightly so <laughs> Mm. <laughs> it's it's crazy when you think about it the fact that you've got like you said you've got a the the head priest convincing a sister superior that like this is her religious duty to break mm. this girl out gets her sisters then ends up killing a primaris marine injuring a sister of silence kill, you know killing the uh the the astra militarum sort of general mm. of that army i've got him devaro i think his name is yeah and 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 then like i said then getting her in a rhino driving her up to gillam and go here look this is where she should be you know it's 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 like and that's what i was saying about it shows you the human the human side of the imperium now for better or worse that because again this because like it's what i'm saying that they they think they're doing the right thing. Like there's nothing in their mind, especially in Matthew's mind. He's not thinking like he's not doing it in a weird way for an ulterior motive. He's even though he is, you know, you could consider him quite deluded. And like you said, Stephen, he's got the biggest balls in the whole Imperium. Um, he's the, the fact that he, he's doing what he truly believes. He you know he's tr- believing that that he will convince Gilliman that that he is a god, and obviously in turn he, the Emperor, his father, is a god, and you know their belief is fully justified and and for it and the fact that the that the power he sways with it but he, and but did you feel with the with the beat down that well the verbal beat down that he gives matthew which again is an amazing bit of writing is the fact that that did you feel sort of angry well i did anyway where you felt angry where he instead of sort of taking the the um the the shout in and then going oh no you're completely right he then st- he actually made his faith even <laughs> like mm. you know his belief in what he's doing even stronger it was like you're like no you should be you know you what you've done is uh, is crazy you could have killed Gilliman and everyone else but you you know in your head you're you're like even with this this verbal beatdown you're still like no no I'm definitely right what I'm doing look <laughs> it's it's crazy it it was yeah. it was weird. <laughs> but it, it it makes sense in a way like as in i think because of how strong you know how he's strong his character is and obviously what he's trying to do i don't like if you know re- reality is that if if gilliman can't convince him who no one can you know i think mm. he it's almost to the point where i wouldn't be surprised even if the emperor turned up and convinced him that say oh you know i'm not you know i'm not god like i'm just a human like everyone else that he would still probably believe it i think you know he's just he's so he's so in you know in in him that you know it's it and the influence he runs with it is amazing but i think that's what makes it so interesting as well you know mm. i think even when he got his comeuppance you're like no he, you know I, I, he still got screwed out of it <laughs> the fact he still you know was like no i'm still i'm still right i'm gonna convince you gilliman you're still definitely a god despite what you say it's um yeah i like i like that angle of it that that matthew's taken it upon himself to try and convince gilliman that he is a god and that that's his new angle it's mm. like no i'm going to convince you that you are benevolent because that's how we all see you but i, I mean mm. the way matthew is i think that's i think that's the matthew for me is like the and to get a bit writer on you it's like he is like the embodiment he's like a living walking metaphor of what gilliman's chief problem is with the imperium is that the faith is <laughs> crippled humanity's sense of logic and reason and it just blinds yeah. humanity to doing the right thing in every situation and matthew is like this walking caricature of it like to the point where he'll defy the thing that he believes is a god to do the thing he thinks is right by his faith 
because that's how blinded he is by his own faith. And it's like, it's like he, Matthew is literally that personified as a character. And it's really interesting, like how Gilliman tries to deal with it. And like when he turns up at the planet and the city's like, pray, like doing this parade and he's like, what are these people doing? The city's under siege. Why are they not like preparing defenses and like, like hiding the women and children? Why are they, why are they out in the streets having a celebration? Yeah, it's 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 mind blowing at times, really, and it just and like you said, it's it, we like using the the what you're saying about a bit of things being blind. It's like you know M- Matthew sees Gilliman as being blind to his own divinity, yet mm. he's blinded by his own faith. So they're sort of they're almost <laughs> that you know one they're both consider each other blind to you know to whatever they're believing in. Um, it, yeah, I mean, like I said, it is thought provoking, and it, I think it really just shows what state the Imperium is in. Cause I, and, I, and I think it, what's quite good is where I think it's sometimes easy to forget when you read a lot of these novels, especially some of the older ones where it is a lot of action and, and killing and things like that, where the Imperium is actually got a strong religious base to it. I mean, I know what, that, what I've just said is quite obvious. You know, you've got the Sisters of Battle, you've got the, you know, the, the Inquisition, you've got uh, all these sort of things. And you, you, you got to remember to yourself that, that, you know, there, there's some, a lot of fanaticism in there as well. Like it's not, it's, you know, it is there and it's actually very, very strong. And it, I think it's sometimes, well, for me anyway, it sometimes gets pushed to the side. I think sometimes in, 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 because you're just thinking about, oh, you know, sisters of battle, they're just, they're just, mm. you know, women warriors that, you know, in, that shoot. And it's like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> That's just part of their role. They're actually an extremely, you know, f- religious, wing of the imperium and it mm. uh, yeah i just feel it gets forgotten about sometimes and this portrays that very very well i think yeah and, and like it yeah. constantly pushes the concept that faith can be a, a weapon and against the darkness and that faith can do good and can keep people fighting long after um like hope has gone so it's like i like that it portrays it in different ways because to gilliman you know, he, he, he lived in a time when this faith didn't exist. Like, to him, it's like he almost went to, like, he was put under when the galaxy was like the Federation from Star Trek, where logic ruled everything mm. and everything was done from like a, a, like a, a place of intelligent reasoning and logic. And then he woke up in, uh, like the dark ages, like in medieval <laughs> times in the dark yeah. ages. And everyone, and he's like, what the fuck is going on here? And every decision is made purely based on, your perception of faith, not your perception of reality. Cause like he sees this, mm. this, this, like, you know, she's clearly like psychically touched somehow, but he's taken the rational stance of she could be an implanted weapon by Mortarian. Yep. She could be a rogue psyker. Yep. You know, he takes all these very logical places and he's like very tactical and very like, yeah, you know, he'd be a great like Federation captain. He's like, no, no, we have to, we have to like <laughs> scan it and like try and talk with it before we turn the phases on. Whereas Matthew, he's like, no, yeah. no, she's definitely, definitely the embodiment of the Emperor. There is no other way it could be anything else in the universe. It's definitely that one thing. I'm going to, like, roll all of the dice. Mm. And it's that difference yeah. in perception yeah. that separates. That's why Gilliman feels alone, because I feel like he's the only character who does it from the other side. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd agree with that. I mean, it, I think, <laughs> yeah, it... it it just, it, it, suppose it's just the strain he's under. He's, he's just the fact that he's there having to deal with that as well as, you know, as we touched upon, as well as everything else. I mean, do you actually, I mean, I'll ask this to you, Cameron, do you, do you mm. think 
you know, the, she's the embodiment of the emperor because obviously it's a it's one of those sort of mm, could be maybe not you know situation. Is she a living saint or is she just a, you know a touch psyker? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna err on the side of weird shit be happening with the Astronomican again because um, people people forget that in the canon. The Astronomican itself, like, that is the will of the Emperor or whatever floating throughout warp space. It does really weird stuff. Uh, mm. Spoilers for the book Black Legion, I guess. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're traveling out to try and find Abaddon and the Vengeful Spirit, and the Astronomican literally manifests itself on the bridge of their ship and says, Don't do this. Please don't <laughs> do this. We don't need We don't need what this future will bring. And it's like, it's not the first instance of, say, the Emperor's Will manifesting in a particular way in particular places. Um, I, I would say my best guess is she's a psychically active person and the Emperor is... Well, we, we still don't know what he said to Gilliman when Gilliman went and visited nope. him on Terra. But <laughs> the Emperor is, at the very least, now, I would assume, aware that Gilliman's back and about and stuff. And it's like, no, he needs help with this. Let me do this in the least subtle way possible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where's the nearest person with an unguarded mind, some psychic activity? Ah, this little girl. Uh, and when needed, works on, works on through that sort of connection there. Like, I, I think it probably is something more on the, emperor side of things than just random psycho going i'm probably a saint this is how my powers will manifest <laughs> um, yeah. but but that's more that's more a sign of the times as it were like this this is this is post 999 m41 anything can happen it's crazy <laughs> out there if this was set like if this was set like before before we had this jump forward in the law before all this stuff happened i'd say no it's probably just a psycho who's like manifesting in this particular way but because so many things are happening like Gilliman's back all the demon primarchs are coming back uh, things are mobilizing things are changing I think it's super possible that it is literally the emperor working through someone and like mm -hmm. employing his power in such a way through a suitable vessel to try and I mean he effectively <laughs> saved the day if it's the emperor because <laughs> yeah. there was no way Gilliman was getting out of that one in time. <laughs> Let's no. be honest. He was he <laughs> yeah. was a millisecond away from losing his legs, and he kind of needs those just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's probably why Matthew Good isn't point. dead, because, like, mm. you know, even though he did defy Gilliman's orders and did get a bunch of loyalists killed, he did also kind of save the day. And it's like it's yeah. hard to yeah. not acknowledge that because if he hadn't have done that, Gilliman would have had his legs chopped off and probably would have died mm -hmm. on that battlefield. Um, but yeah, I think I'm in the same camp as Cameron. I think I think it is the Emperor. Like I think it was the mm -hmm. Emperor manifesting to help Gilliman out because you know Motarian's cheating and brought like all of Nurgle with him. <laughs> so it's like, well, yeah. if you're going to cheat, okay, yeah. I'm going to cheat too. Because mm -hmm. like the, yeah. I mean, the novels do like the new like to get nerdy about it the new the, the new timeline the dark imperium stuff it does confirm that the emperor is still in some way sentient and still doing yeah, stuff because gilliman has a like mm. not a conversation with him but they have like a mental connection and you know mm. he talks about the horrible feeling that came across of him just being a weapon 
and him being a tool and not like father son and him just being you know told to get out there and, and fix shit um <laughs> so clearly the emperor can still influence things and, and manipulate stuff and be a presence it's just in very limited yeah. specific ways yeah yeah, I'd agree with both of you. I, th- I think it is uh, an emperor-related event. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the technical term. <laughs> emperor-related event. E-L-E. Say a second, Yeah, it's no. I think I and I and I like the fact it it it. Well, the fact we're having a conversation about it shows that it works. We're like, is it emperor-related? Is it not? We don't know. It probably is, but it may not be. Um, but it, like you said, it shows that his presence is still there. And, and I, I still think that's an important thing. You know, if you, if you're going to have the emperor around, at least have some sort of hint of him. He's do, that he is doing something, even if it is on a very limited level, because he's such an important character to 40k and i mean we've spoke about it on the show if if we killed him off and the consequences of that and yeah i think it, it just shows he, he he's yeah he's still got to be around um let's switch up to the the nurgle side of things and i'll mm-hmm. also ask you about this cameron because obviously <laughs> you're a, a fan of nurgle yeah I, I mean obviously you said you're saying your uh your love of, of the characters in this so how did you feel in general the sort of nurgle side came across uh i was uh really really happy with it just like the like a big thing for me is like you know near the end of the book you've got six great unclean ones battling gilliman and gilliman's guards both the victrix guard and the custodies and all that and that was so good in like the variety of demons it shows like obviously in terms of model kits you can only really produce one model kit for a unit to keep things simple for the consumer and keep things cheap for the producer. <clears throat> but I would love to see, like, individual character models for each of those great unclean ones because they are all awesome and, like, they're weird differences. Like, for example, you got the one that's basically a Mongol. Like, it's this super famished looking. It's thin. It's got these crooked, crippled legs that it can't use and it just bowls itself around on its arms. And then you've got Famine, which, who is, you know, sort of ironically massively fat, more so than even a regular Great Unclean one, and just rolls around crushing people like a giant wrecking ball. Like, there's all these cool, like, design ideas. Um, and, like, it, it leans a little more into the demonic side of things, not just the Death Guard side of things, because you get, like, implications about the order of importance in Nurgle's hierarchy. Like, Kugath, Plaguefather, for example, he sits in the number three spot. He's Nurgle's third favorite child, which is all cool and awesome. And there's all this plotting and scheming. Maybe he'll lose his position. Maybe he won't. And then, you know, we go down and Typhus meets with uh, Herald of Nurgle. It's like, greetings, you know, most favored. 343rd is like, actually, I'm number 300 now. Look at me. You got a promotion. <laughs> and like, the idea of demon politics is so good to me. Like, I kind of want just that book. I want a bunch of plague bearers going around arguing with each other until someone gets a promotion to 7,777th in ranking. In you want a sitcom <laughs> called The Plague Fathers? Yeah. Where it's just exactly. them in a house bitching. Oh. <laughs> Terrace house, but with a bunch of great unclean ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't want to use that toilet, would you? but like in in general really well done with the mix of like despair because that's what they aim to bring to the world and that mix of like jolly sort of 
celebration in life and death and the cycle of rebirth is so great. And they they really felt like almost the protagonists near the end, because, you know, Gilliman's there, he's laying into them with his, you know, with the Emperor's sword, which will kill them permanently, forever. Mm. The Sisters of Silence are there, they can kill them permanently, forever. Like, demons are for sort of once in the 41st millennium fighting an uphill battle, because their their goal is essentially, if it bleeds, we can kill it. They, ne- they just need to shed one drop of Gilliman's blood. And, like, if there's big sort of crowning climactic moment when Septicus kind of finally reaches out and pierces an elbow seal and a single drop of blood falls out before the armor systems close it up. And that, that you know, that's the point where chaos is cheating. Uh, <laughs> not <laughs> you guys. Yeah. It's like they, they, worked, they worked hard for this immediately freeze Gilliman in place, render him completely harmless trap to work, okay? <laughs> yeah. they, they did just walk up like, we gotcha. Like, no, no, no. Six great unclean ones had to fight him all at once. <laughs> <laughs> like there was a bit of work involved. Like they they really felt like the protagonists there, which I really enjoyed because you know mm. they don't get to be the heroes so often, and like they're out here having their big. I guess it's kind of like it's their big Avengers moment because like we've gathered all the greatest <laughs> of Nurgle's heroes together to fight <laughs> those damn Imperial humans. <laughs> Curse them! Can't cope with this level of heresy. <laughs> yes, you know you're a chaos player when you're comparing the great unclean ones to the Avengers. <laughs> oh, look, I totally yeah, in, in my mind's really. eye. I had like that sweeping camera shot where they do the big circle of all the great unclean ones doing the different hero poses. <laughs> that would be great. It was pretty good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Um. I, I'm going to be a bit controversial, I think, with the Nurgle side of things. I, it, it, it felt a bit mixed for me at times. Um, I, I, I suppose probably because the other side of it, i.e., the you know what we're talking about, Gilliman and Matthew and and uh, the Primaris and how they're integrated, I felt that just felt stronger for me. So it's not, probably not a criticism of the Nurgle side. It's, mm. It just didn't feel as strong for me. Um, I, I, I suppose I, I, I agree with you though in the sense that I think the demons really came across really well they were really amusing i love the fact that 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 i was i can't remember was it cool gather it's one of the what the one mm. that that cooks up that brews brews like concoctions and stuff yeah. The, yeah. the one in that they're, they're fighting in that sort of fight final battle and he sort of you know he's there trying to convince the you know the imperium soldiers like no no you know your you know your god is dead why why are you fighting for a god that's just a corpse on a on a throne when you know where papa nurgle you know is will give you everything and obviously the karen fight he's like well okay fine if you're not going to listen i'll just kill you anyway you know it's just, there's some really amusing moments in it and there's obviously that moment with the um was it the 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 port master where he, i think he was a port master where he, they 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 he basically he sort of convulses in front of Typhus and ends up turning into the Herald. Mm, um, you know, that yeah. really graphic, disgusting scene where he sort of just, you know, ner- and a little nurgling pops out of him and things oh, like yeah, that. that so cool. those bits were, were, were fantastic. Yeah. I think, to be fair, actually, I think it was Motarian and Typhus that felt the weaker side of it, I think. Mm. The, and I suppose it's because I know we, you and I, Cameron, have obviously discussed uh, the Berry Dagger fairly yeah. recently, obviously the Heresy one. And I suppose that doesn't probably help because that was a very good, strong novel with them too, as the, the, you know, the main characters, whereas this, they felt a bit, uh, 
I don't know. I like the way with like Typhus. I don't know really where they were going with him at mm. times. I felt like he was just there because he was there. I mean, there's some really good scenes with him. Don't get me wrong. He like he took a land raider out by himself. He was there killing, mm. you know, Primaris Marines. He, you know, he, he but like as an act of his significance, he was he he was. I don't know. Like, did he? I don't know. It just felt like he didn't need to be there, or he sort of had a bit of a an abrupt ending. Don't worry, he wasn't killed in it, but like just that we know of anyway. Um, but just the you know he sort of just fell out of the book <laughs> at some point, and uh, um, I just would have liked to have seen more about Mortarian. To be honest, I think you know he didn't have the same presence in the scenes that Gilliman did. But that's just my personal opinion. To be honest, again, it's not mm. a criticism. I just you know I suppose there's only so much <laughs> good stuff you can put no, in. But at I, one kind time, of, but... I kind of agree with you. Like I thought, I I thought this about the first. Dark Imperium book as well. It, like Typhus always feels like a side character to Mortarian, like that he's just there to antagonize Mortarian. He's not really his own character. He's just there because uh, Mortarian's there. And I kind of I yeah, didn't he's... mind it in the first book as much, but I kind of found it their whole relationship in this one. I was like, it's very one note, and I'm like, okay, I get it. He doesn't like Mortarian. He wants to be like the favored son of, of Nurgle, and he isn't, and he's bitter about it. It's like I get it. Like, can we do something else now? Or <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I agree. He, well, to me, he feels for anyone that knows your Transformers, he's like the Star Scream to your Megatron. You know, he's sort of just the, <laughs> Very the much second so. in command yeah. that just antagonizes the main leader, and it just also now you said that I'm going to hear that voice whenever I read the dialogue of his. Like, I'm just going to hear Star Scream's <laughs> voice, just that whiny, <laughs> that whiny, annoying yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mortarian! <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, it, like I said, it's not a criticism of the Nurgle side. Not like, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it just wasn't as, it, it was still very good. But that's because I think the other parts of that we've already discussed were excellent. I think that's mm. sort of what I'm trying to probably say. Um, right. Um, we're sort of getting to the end of this bit. Is there anything, either of you, any other significant things you want to say that, that spring to mind? I'm excited for the third book of the trilogy. Whenever that's yeah. going to come, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'm curious where they're gonna where they're gonna take because I think it is a book about Gilliman, and I'm yeah. I'm curious to see where he's going to end up. Maybe if it, I don't know. They've not really talked about it if and when the next one's coming. So maybe if it involves another loyalist Primarch to like bounce off mm. Gilliman, and mm. maybe we see some of that internal strife. That could be cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, who knows? I'm excited for for the next one at least. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, we may see that that significance of that grey knight that appeared. You know, the one that sort of wounds mm. Typhus in the fight. That that sort of just you know before they all sort of disappear and the things. I mean, to be fair, the grey knight may be in you know may have no consequence. But yeah, that may be another future character. Oh yeah, um, the grey knights for a yeah. minute. They were cool. Yeah. Yeah, Green Knights are always cool. They just, they're cool. Like you said, they're, like, it's, it's one of those things where we were sort of saying before that, that it's so, that you've got so many things in there you got, that you forget about. Like you said, like with, um, with like, um, the, you know, the, the Knights and the Titans that Legions mm. are in it. The, you've mm. got Custodies, you've got Sisters of Silence, Sisters of Battle, <laughs> uh, Grey Knights, you know, but because sometimes, because there's so many other things going on, like, oh God, yeah, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot there's Grey Knights yeah. in it. Cause they just have, cause I suppose they don't have any, really any words or lines in it. They're just obviously just there as a, a fighting force. So they're easy to forget about, but. Well, yeah, Kato, but, Kato Vicarious is in the book and he's like a major character in his own books. And then this one is mm-hmm. like, it's like a tiny bit character, but he's still fun. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I forgot he's again. I forgot now you've said it, I forgot he's in that. But yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's because I suppose they only have some of these just only have very fleeting, uh, you know, appearances. But then, like I said, when book three comes along, obviously we know we know Gill- Gilliman, Motari, and Matthew, and all that are going to be prominent characters again. But you know, some of these others may get shifted around. Who knows? Mm. Um, Cameron, anything you wanted to add as well? Um, that's a good book, and you should read it. honestly it's got lots of enjoyable stuff it's got philosophy stuff it's got cool battles like what else do you want really it's got nuns with guns (laughs) it's very 40k (laughs) that's all you need to know it's a very good book so yeah get on it and again it's now as of now it's on audio paperback hardback and all that so it's all fully there so cool no that's been a great little discussion right okay we'll have our uh, final break now um and then when we return we can have a little chat about aos gods back soon and welcome back to the final part of the show where we're going to the mortal realms one of our favorite vacation places of all time and we're going to discuss about future possible AOS gods and who we may see next and such like. But as promised earlier in the show, I have a code to give away because I <laughs> just remembered to grab it in the break. <laughs> and luckily it's an AOS related code as well. So um, it's for the AOS Realm War mobile game that's out there. Um, not really played it myself, so I can't really <laughs> comment on it. And this code gives you a free Warlord Comet worth eighteen ninety nine. Oh, just think what your mini models could buy with eighteen ninety nine. Um, this is something I grabbed from Warhammer Fest. It doesn't look like it's got a expiry date on it. So, but hey, here we go. So, yeah, if you you know if you play this game, Round War, yeah, enter the code into the app, and hopefully you'll get it. And first one to get it. Happy days. Right, so the code is uh, 1, P for Papa, 2, U for Uniform, 4, 3, 6, W for Whiskey. So 1, P, 2, U, 4, 3, 6, W. There you go. Don't say we don't give you anything. (laughs) And now I can put that in the bin. Right, (laughs) so let's get on with the discussion topic. Um, So, Steve, this was one of your suggestions um, that we were talking about the other day. Uh, so talking about potential new gods and this sort of like said to you at the time this sort of nicely ties into a previous topic where we've discussed about future chaos gods but from a 40k perspective whereas this also can can be sort of gods in aos in general um do you want to kick us off you know anything you've thought about or any suggestions um well i guess the obvious one for me at least or the one that i am excited about seeing if, if it ever happens will be um, like expanding on the elf, the elf god pantheon, and like seeing mm. what has happened with Malarian, and like what, like what his deal is now, and like now that he's sort of ascended and become one of these sort of pantheon members, like what he looks like and what he's about. I know he's like sort of a shadowy, demony type thing, but he's still kind of a good guy. I don't know, but I'd be curious to see. <laughs> I'd be curious to see where he sits on the Pantheon now and, and if they'd introduce because I really like what they did with Eldar and the Eldari in 40k and they like they you know introduced the Yanari and stuff like that and like the, the Eldar god of the dead so it'd be cool on the flip mm. side to see them expand the the elfin 
pantheon in Age of Sigmar and expand upon uh, their gods. Because I know, like, I guess Cain's still around. They haven't said he isn't. And I guess mm. the, the daughters These of pieces are around, are around aren't they? Is yeah. it seven pieces? Oh, there, there are a lot more than seven pieces of Cain. Oh, is it, oh, is it a thousand? So I'm it's, thinking of something it, else, probably. It's a but, big yeah. number of pieces of Cain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's like an Easter egg that's been smashed. <laughs> oh my god. An Age of Sigmar video game with the collectible being shards of Cain would be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got three of 10,000. It's like, no, <laughs> too many to go. It's like that quest giver in Zelda who's like, bring me a hundred uh, mm, co- uh, crickets. Like, what? <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do with the the elven pa- pantheon really because i suppose it's it it's funny when you you read all this lore and you, they're sort of you know what they're doing obviously when we like last episode when we covered the head knights of Sunesh, and obviously we know what you know the the when techless Tyrion, malarian and marathi teamed up to obviously imprison Sunesh, and then they're sort of i know marathi's on is i suppose a demigod and she's you know technically a character on the battlefield whereas the others sort of just a I know, kicking back, really. That's what it sort of feels like, that they need to be, you know, sort of pushed to the fourth front. Yeah, it um, feels like they're but, the new pantheon, because they don't talk yeah. about the gods anymore. They talk about Tyrion, Teclis, and, and like, Malarian and stuff like that. Like, mm. these are, the like, elven pantheon, I guess. But, like, does that mean we're ever going to... Because, like, it's weird, because there's this weird disparity, because, you know, there's lots of loyalist forces, like the, the Order guys, and, like, Sigmar sits at the top, pretty much. And he's around... But he's not doing anything. He's just sort of sat on a chair, <laughs> sending out <laughs> armies. But then Nagash is the god of the dead, and he's like wandering around, like fucking people up and causing earthquakes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah put, to put it mildly, yeah. Mm. <laughs> that's what, that's what he, but it's true though. He's. He, I suppose that's why I think Nagash is so great because he's actually, like you said, he's actually doing something out there. He's actually ha- okay. He's like I said, he's causing more problems than he than he obviously probably <laughs> intended but it's the fact that he's still actually doing anything and it's great i mean i suppose to be fair it's probably because the, the law is still pro- is playing catch up at the moment like i said we've only just seen seen slanesh now and even slanesh is still trapped <laughs> at this point so everyone seems to be on ice and you know even if you look at the dwardian gods like um grimnir and 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 such they're not they're not really doing anything as such. They're sort of, I suppose, but then is that because that's the sort of state of the mortal realms at the moment? Obviously there's so much war going on and obviously they're trying to, uh, I don't know, let the, let the land lie. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to get over the Necroquake. They're trying to get over obviously the different ages, the ages of chaos and, and myth and obviously Sigmar now. Maybe it's just that, you know, if you're putting aside that Games Workshop's trying to catch up at the moment, it's probably because they're, you know, they're just probably just trying to sort themselves, their own selves out. But then the pantheons, I suppose, have broken up over time and, and they're a bit all over the place. So, you know, there's still, to me, there's still space for new gods to, mm. to come in. Like, for example, I, I would really like there to be another death god. I would love to see a challenger to Nagash. I think that would be awesome. Um, I mean, I think we've said on here before where, like, you know, if Setra ever returned, oh I don't think that, I, you know, that could happen. I mean, who <laughs> knows? I mean, it's probably so pipe. good. Because, <laughs> I mean, Setra is a perfect example because obviously it's one of those, he's one of those characters where he, I mean, 
he's similar to Nagash in the sense, obviously, Nagash is out for himself and isn't, you know, he's, he doesn't really like order. He doesn't really like chaos either. He sort of does his own thing. And, and I think having a similar character, but obviously has his own traits as well, would be a perfect, you know, sort of foil. You know, I know we were like, when we were saying about, um, you know, Typhus and to Mortarian and the last segment, you know, where one's antagonizing the other, but with these two, it'd be similar, but like where it's actually a real struggle for power rather than just, just, and he's there just to antagonize the gash. He's there to, you know, to do his own thing. He's there to, to screw over the chaos gods. Cause again, from the, the old world, he, he's got real beef with chaos as well. Not just the, you know, the good guys of, you know, the, of order and all the old empire and things like that. So I mean, if you give yeah. me, if you give me a like 10 inch tall Cetra model, I will give you all of the money in my bank account. Like I would love that. That'd be so cool. But do you not, do you not think that like Sigma has kind of become a God of the dead? Like, cause the whole reason the gash spat his dummy out was because Sigmar created people where their souls didn't go to the underworld. They just kept returning to their body. And he's like, hang on a minute, you just broke the system. You can't do that. Like, So like, I kind of feel like Sigmar's become this rival god of the dead in a really... If you look at it from a really like morbid perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I'm- yeah, he, he is. <laughs> to be fair, he, he, I suppose he, he's just doing it, like I said, I suppose in a different way. And I suppose in Sigmar's head, he's probably doing it in a justified way, which is another, is a debatable thing by itself anyway, when the whole reforging process, you know, is he do, you know, he's doing it for the greater good, but you know, what good is it doing to the Stormcast long term? Who, you know, yeah. we're already seeing where, you know, what's coming of that. Um, but then I suppose he could factor in, um, again, going back to the elven gods with what they're doing with Sanesh, they're stealing souls, you know, because obviously that's why, you know, obviously Nagash is pissed off because everyone's nicking his souls, you know, he's <laughs> yeah. dipping into his. Uh, <laughs> everyone's his getting in this soul, this soul currency thing, and he's like, what's <laughs> yeah. going on? This is yeah. my thing. Yeah, and and I, I, I and that's probably why they've made him such a prominent god. But I I don't know. I suppose like if we if you wanted another god, like say there was another god to mix it up, that's not say not. The, the setter idea with the god of what would we what would we want to see you know, i don't i don't cameron you got any ideas <laughs> uh, yeah no i see i'm not too sure on like new gods coming in to the fray mm. to mess things up but i just want grungni to do more <laughs> like i know, he I, know I know he's hmm? didn't he die uh grimnir died no that's Gr- grimnir yeah. died oh, right, okay. the fire the fire slayer one died mm. Yeah, Grungni's still around. He's like working. He's he's doing like the secret work back behind the scenes to try and clean clean up his own mistakes. Um, <laughs> mostly, but like, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see him come forward more because he's technically like the god of the realm of fire, but like he just doesn't do anything in that capacity currently. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the realm of metal? No, he'd be the god of the what? realm of metal, wouldn't he? Grimni would have been god of. Probably, yeah. yeah. I like what yeah. they, I like what they did with Alariel, where she like they went and mm. basically rebirthed her. Like she's like the god of the life realm, right? So it's like they went and woke her up, and now she's stomping around on her giant beetle thing. So it's like they could do it with all the other gods. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, because effectively they're just avatars of themselves in a way, because mm. Nagash is just an avatar, you know, like that's how he's justified you killing him on, you know, on the tabletop. He's just, you know, he's not the actual real Nagash as such. Uh, it's just obviously just an aspect of him. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to think, so what we're trying to say is these gods need to sort of get off their asses a bit more and do more. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, no, I can, I can see that. I mean, you can say the same about Gorka Morka. Over on the destruction side yeah, as well. The destruction I mean, god would be cool because they've never really had that representation. Like that would be really fun. No, mm. yeah, because you, you could have an avatar of Gorkamorka. Again, doesn't have to be literally Gorkamorka, but um, I mean, unless they took um, what's that um, main Iron Jaw bloke? Um, Gordra. I can't remember his name now. The one. Yeah, I think it's Gordra. Yeah, Gordra. They could. They could ascend him in some sort of way because, you know, I mean, again, in the law, he's not really doing much at the moment that we're really aware of. <laughs> so, bring back Grimgore. You know, again, they... Yeah, well, yeah. everyone wants yeah. Grimgore back. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, I was say, yeah. <laughs> bring back Grimgore as an avatar of Gork and Mork. Give him a second head. Make him huge. Yeah. Well, it, it, well it, let's be honest, it could happen. I mean, we're getting, you know, Gotrek's return into the mortal realm. So, you know, some of these characters come back and, and you could, well, the, well, the thing is, it'd be interesting to see what, well, talking to Gotrek, it'd be interesting to see what they're doing. Cause obviously he's now got the rune of Grimnir literally embedded in his skin at the moment. If you read the, the novels, uh, the current ones. Oh. And, you know, so is that going, his, he, you know, he, you know, you could see him becoming the avatar of Grim, Grimnir at some point. Oh, I could see it. That anyway, would be it cool. seems that's, you know, yeah, that would be. That's, maybe that's the direction to take. Maybe it's not bringing the gods back specifically, or bringing back avatars. Because I guess like the Celestant Prime is is technically the avatar of Sigma. I guess mm-hmm. like he's wielding his mm-hmm. hammer and whatnot. So maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, because I suppose, like I said, they just need to be doing more in general, and and in, in, I suppose interacting. Like I think it's actually seeing something tangible because obviously we see references. Like if you go back to Grungni, he's as far as I know, like I said, he's doing bits for Sigmar at the moment. He's sort of like a bit of a bit of a lackey, just sort of just doing odd jobs for him. Um, I mean, obviously he's mainly because he's grateful that Sigmar obviously you know, you know, released him from, uh, you know, like he did with like Nagash and obviously Grimnir as well, but he sort of grungly seems to be just sort of hammering stuff out. He, and I think if you read any of the forbidden power stuff that's come out recently, I think he was, he, he's, he had a hand in those, um, oh, I forgot what they're called now. What's these new contraptions that are, that are to do with forbidden power. I can't yeah, remember the, name the thing that, the thing that Teclis designed. Yeah. Yeah. The, he, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because Grungni had a hand in that, in the sense he's the one that that showed Sigmar how to to manipulate them to hide stuff. Because obviously, you know, Teclis created them to to you know broadcast knowledge and and everything. Whereas obviously, Sigmar, you know, like I said, used them to to hide stuff, and that was Grungni's help. Mm. And obviously, he took great delight in that because obviously, it was screwing over an elven god really <laughs> in in the in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, I think they I think they need to do more interaction between them like actually make them do not just doing stuff just on the in the realms like you know Nagash doing the Necroquake which obviously was a big thing but you know I think they need to be doing something tangible that has an actual dramatic effect on the way things play out because otherwise they just come across as bickering and that doesn't really do anything. <laughs> well, that's the like, great that's the great thing about 
um, Age of Sigmar is that it's very fantastical, so they can have gods mm-hmm. stomping around. Like it was really hard to do in Warhammer, like like the old Warhammer, because it was very much grounded in a like the gods weren't around as such. Like you, it was a bunch of mortals fighting for gods, whereas now Age of Sigmar, we can, like there's no real restriction on what you can have on the tabletop. It's way more sort of flamboyant, I guess. It's just way more yeah bombastic yeah. Yeah, we, it can be whatever we want it. They want it to be, to be honest. And I think, uh, you know, that's the the beauty of it. They can just add whatever they want and, and and maybe they will. I mean, when I spoke to Ben Johnson at, at Warhammer Fest and he was telling me that they, they, they've, you know, they, they, like you said, they're about two years or so in, you know, in play in advance. And he says what they do is they have like a, an end point. They go, right, in two years time, this is going to happen. Like, you know, what would have happened with the Necroquake in the law, in the law, they would have gone, right, this is what's going to happen. So, you know, so in six months time to a year's time, there's something that will drop and maybe this is where they'll start pushing some of these things forward. Really? I mean, I suppose the good thing is at this state, at this moment in time, I suppose AOS isn't craving it. Like I don't, you know, I don't feel like this, you know, if they don't do this or any of these things, then it's going to sort of fall apart. It's just that, more stuff happening is good because we <laughs> we can talk about it. We can, you know, see it, you know, have an effect on the mortal realms. But you know, we'll see. I suppose, as always. <laughs> yeah, and like you said earlier, it's like the law of AOS because it's quite new, and they're kind of building it as they go. It's it's you know they're they're filling in holes as as they go and kind of writing it as the game develops and evolves. So it's like we don't really know what directions it can go in. But they do. Like whereas forty K it's pretty much we know the general state of things with AOS, it's not quite as rigid, I guess. Mm. No. Yeah. That's yeah, that sort of sums it up perfectly, really. They can and I and, and to be fair, I suppose it's prioritizing as well. I suppose that obviously they're on this real pushing of Nagash, the Necroquake, Soul Wars forbidden power at the moment and obviously i'm sure at some point we're all keeping our fingers crossed that the shadow and light elves are and whatever's happening with you know malarian and techless Tyrion is gonna come about soon but but then i suppose from their perspective is is grungny important at this moment in time probably not you know i suppose they haven't got they haven't got time to do something with all of them they probably got to pick and choose similar to how they pick and choose obviously what releases come about they suppose they have to do that you know, similar thing with the law, really, and and I suppose it's pr- again prioritising. But you know, two years time, who knows? You know, we may see Gorka Morka just turn up and go, "Hey, I'm here to cause some destruction. Yep. Come, <laughs> come, stop me!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Is there any anything anyone wants to say? Any other opinions or ideas? Or are we going to wrap it up there? Uh, no, I'm. I'm <laughs> No, <laughs> I was going to say you're, you're, you're ready for Ben, mate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well we'll wrap it up there anyway. We've had a good long session anyway, so um, so yeah, this has been our episode thirty. We hope you've thoroughly enjoyed it as much as we've hopefully <laughs> we've all thoroughly enjoyed uh, recording it. Um, big thank you to Stephen again for joining us. It's been always a pleasure to have you on here. You're always welcome back when you, you know, feel like kicking back with us and talking a bit of Warhammer. Um, so where can people find you on the internet and what you do? Um, mainly on Twitter, um, at Rhodes underscore rights. That's, I'm quite active on Twitter. Um, other than that, nowhere really. Like I have a, 
I have a, like a website, but it's just a it's just a glorified portfolio essentially. <laughs> um, like if people want to <laughs> find out what I do or what I'm doing, Twitter is the best place. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I love I love uh, I love chatting Warhammer with you two. I might have to make it a yearly thing now because I think we did it this time <laughs> yeah. last year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you can come on sooner. Don't worry. It's not it's not like a, a written. Oh, no, yeah, I'm always happy to. I love it. This is like <laughs> I don't really get to chat much. Uh, Warhammer and stuff where I am in the world right now so this is a nice it's a nice outlet <laughs> for getting it all out I was gonna say, I was gonna say you can just bring it on to us we always <laughs> welcome it uh and Cameron where can people find you on the internet uh, if you're still awake yes I'm still awake it's okay uh you can find me on twitter at night underscore twitten that's night without a k uh come witness as I post photos of cats uh and occasionally yell about bad stuff happening in D D. Um, oh it was rough oh it was rough <laughs> one of those was it <laughs> oh look some guy wild magic surged so hard he went to the shadow realm uh it was it was bad uh but yeah no come come chat to me uh and come, yeah come for the photos of cute cuddly animals look at you over there behaving now <laughs> Podcast cats yeah. with him. Podcast cat. <laughs> uh, and of course, Matthew, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on that Twitter <laughs> website that I hear about. Oh, and yeah, um, and, the, and my dog there. That's definitely not mine. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Ninja Badger Seven. Um, has your dog got a uh, Twitter profile? <laughs> they want to shout no, out. my dog doesn't have a Twitter profile, but he's pretty. He's pretty over. He's pretty all over Instagram between me and my wife. We post pictures of him constantly. <laughs> nice one right cool okay well that's 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 where you can find us on social media um as always everyone listening thank you so much for your support it's always greatly appreciated it says it's been great doing uh, episode 30 here and obviously many more to come and we'll catch you on the next one bye see ya